I look up and I see films from talented directors like Matt Reeves. My next mission is to look at his newest film, The Batman, with fellow truth seekers as we seek to find the answer to the question, do we really need another version of The Batman? Do we? everyone, and welcome to the Cinematic Schematic, the official podcast of thecinematropolis.com, your home to thoughtful conversations on film. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and today we're diving deep into Gotham's criminal underbelly to answer the question, does the world really need another version of Batman? Specifically this one. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, today we're reviewing The Batman. We're going to start with a quick icebreaker question before we jump into a spoiler-free review and verdict on the film, and then we'll conclude the show by going to an in-depth spoiler section where we will really dive into all the, the meat and potatoes of the concluding act to this film. I'm so excited to be rejoined in fighting the crime, the crime being too many superhero films. Asking the question, do we need another Batman movie? I'm rejoined, as always. Uh, you could say he's like my Lucius Fox, because he's got so many big, great ideas, and he always comes in for like a, a layup. He always helps me get like this, you know, really win the game. I'm rejoined by award-winning Oklahoma filmmaker, Laurent Chapman. Laurent, welcome back. I had no idea that intro was for me, so I'm very flattered. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is definitely someone else. He's definitely not talking about me. Good to be back, sir. Listen, man, you always come in when I'm in a pinch. You just show up and like, boom, awesome podcast sauce right there. Just like Lucius Fox, right? I'm also very excited to be rejoined by my good friend, uh, writer here at the Cinematropolis. You could say he's my Robin boy wonder, Daniel Bokemper. Daniel, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. Let's be real. I'm fucking calendar, man. There's no... <laughs> so when you're asking me for anytime deadlines, there's that's a day. what it is. It's yes, a anytime there's a day, I'm, I'm aware of it. I'm, a, I'm aware of those days. <laughs> Daniel, what's tomorrow? What's tomorrow's date? Oh, fuck. God damn it. <laughs> I, knew you, I knew you'd ask that. <laughs> no, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Excellent. And last, but certainly not least, I'd like to welcome, you, you could call him my Nightwing, uh, mostly because he's got really badass designs in his back pocket, the Brockness monster of graphic designers, Brock Lay. Brock, welcome back to the Cinematic Schematic. I uh, like to consider myself the bat suit with nipples because no one takes me that seriously and I'm good for a few laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, uh, before we get to today's review, I did want to quickly note that if, if you are listening to the show today and you enjoy the conversation we have here, please support the show by subscribing and leaving us a rating and review on your preferred podcast app, specifically Apple Podcasts and most recently Spotify. Spotify does require that you listen to us talk for a little while though, so make sure to check out and finish this episode you're listening to now and then give us a rating because unfortunately, I'm not as made of money like Bruce Wayne, so it does require some, some moral support uh, and a boost in ratings uh, to get us found by more listeners just like you. Let's go ahead and move into our icebreaker discussion here, shall we? 
So I actually have two questions for us. The first one, I'm going to throw this out there uh, just for fun. What is your favorite bat gadget and why? And Daniel, across the table from me here today, I'm going to start with you. What would you pick if you get one bat gadget? God, I can't pick one. Can I pick two? Sure. Two? Sure. Okay, cool. So on a like technical level, um, since I just watched The Dark Knight, I think the very like Orwellian bat sonar that he deploys in that film, um, it's like alluded to at the start. Um, but then you get it back again in the final sequence with the Joker where he's climbing that skyscraper. It's like a, a bat sonar that bounces off of every single person's cell phone to create a, again, some kind of image through through sound that's uh, very, very cool. Also very terrifying to know Batman can do that. I mean, the movie, in, in fact, ponders a question. Back when we actually still cared about privacy, they were like, is this an ethical thing to do? Should any one man or brand have this power? It's like Apple's <laughs> terms of service have a Batman clause in it. Like maybe, <laughs> maybe used to fight crime. Who knows? Just trust it. Don't worry about it. But also the uh, shark repellent of Adam West days, because you never know. You never know when you're going to need that shark repellent. So here's a million dollar question about the shark repellent that I always go back to. Mm -hmm. Do you know that is in fact a mechanical shark that he, he uses the shark repellent on? Mm. So the question is, is it shark repellent or is it robot repellent? We may never know the answer to that question. Also, it explodes when it hits the water, but you know. <laughs> because Batman. It's also got explosive properties, you could say. It's true. Well, I mean, explosions do deter sharks, so still a shark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay. So uh, we've got the Apple iPhone and uh, maybe shark repellent. Yes. LaRon Chapman, I'm going to turn to you. What is your favorite bat gadget and why? I feel so basic in saying it, but, like, I mean, like the grapple gun. I mean, I just any time he uses that, whether it's to shoot through someone's, you know, limb or to attach to some, you know, and to see him kind of propel himself to different locations. I always live for that moment. It's always what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for him to pull that out and, and you know, uh, swing around somewhere. So, yeah. He's not Batman until he grapple guns at some point, right? Okay. All right. Yeah, fair point. All right, Brock Lay, bring us home. What is your favorite bat gadget? The obvious answer is the battering, but uh, there's so many variations that vary with the logo uh, for that particular Batman movie. But my actual choice would be the bat skates from Batman and Robin, because why in the fuck would you have skates in your boots just chilling? And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, Mr. Freeze, I'm going to ice skate with these dudes in hockey pads. It's the hockey team from hell. You never know when Mr. Freeze, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, will show up and want to fight you, you know? And they can't even they can't even stand on them, and they protrude from their boots. They have to like lay on their back, put their feet up, and then they'll <laughs> uh, come out of their boots. So uh, I don't know. It just cracks me up. So that's my that's my favorite one, just because of how ridiculous it. Was. All right. So I think that's a that's a great selection. I'm surprised. I'm I'm picking the best bat gadget. From Batman and Robin. No, I thought about the skate boots, but no, it's not that. It is the bat credit card because someone's got to pay for these hosting fees for this podcast, guys. <laughs> and it's going to be Batman here. Yes. Come on. I bet $50,000 for Poison Ivy. 100000 million. You don't have it. Three million. I'll borrow it from you. Four million. 
Five million. That's a utility belt, not a money belt. Six million. Seven million. <laughs> Never leave the cave without it. Expiration date? Forever. <laughs> That's what it was. <laughs> Listen, guys, at the end of the day, if you've got infinite money, do the rest of the gadgets matter? I mean, in all seriousness, I've got to go with the Batwing. Specifically, my preferred version is from Tim Burton's Batman, the one with Michael Keaton. I just love it. Get chills every time. The scene where you see it fly up in front of the moon and do the bat symbol. And I know it's goofy and corny, but it's the the score is sweeping and it's and it's right in front of the moon. And you're like, this is this is Batman. It's incredible. Dig it. So that's my first question. The second one that's actually probably going to give listeners a little more insight into our relationship with the Batman, the film series, the comic book or what have you is who is your favorite Batman and why? I'm not going to put limitations on this later. We're going to rank our favorite Batman movies and we have limited it to the theatrically released Batmans, but there's a lot of really good animated Batmans out there too. So I'm going to leave all the Batman on the table. Um, for us to decide. And I'm actually going to go in reverse order this time. So Brock Lay, who is your favorite Batman and why? This is the hardest question. I have so many biases to actors. So even if their Batman sucked, I want to pick them. Um, George Clooney. <clears throat> but I think I'm going to have to go with Michael Keaton just on the fact that that was what just started this whole thing for me. It's a, it's a nostalgia factor. It just, when I was a kid, that's all I wanted was just to be Batman, and I loved him so much. So I got to go Michael Keaton. Got to go. I think Michael Keaton is a an iconic version. I mean, like you said, the, the first version that you probably saw, that so many people saw. And, you know, there are certainly worse versions of Batman to be the first big screen Batman for a generation. So I think that's a great pick. LaRon Chapman. Favorite Batman and why? Well, I have to echo that. Uh, Michael Keaton, um, again, started all of this, but I also feel like he's my favorite of the duality of the character. Like, there's certain Batmans I like as just one half of the of the coin. He's my favorite as Batman and Bruce Wayne combined. So I also will go with uh, Keaton. All right. Guys, I got good news for you. We get to talk about Batman again this year, and one of them involves Michael Keaton. So, you know, <laughs> opportunity on the horizon. Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't get me excited for The Flash. They're like, but Michael Keaton, Batman. Now I'm sold. <laughs> Daniel Bokemper, who is your favorite Batman? Uh, I hate them all. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I do. I I agree with the, the rest of the table, but uh, with the caveat, Robert Pattinson's Batman has not marinated quite long enough for me to truly rank him, but he's definitely in the running for my favorite Batman for very different reasons. But I do also have to lend it to Michael Keaton. Ultimately, I think as Laurent was saying, he's a perfect balance, you know, both sides of Batman, Bruce Wayne and Batman himself are um, portrayed quite well and, and very goofy and to an extent where I think some people could definitely be alienated or, or prefer, especially when you get place it against Christian Bale's Batman, it's, it's, you know, he looks like a dork. I get it, but that's the point. Like Batman is a dork. Like that's, that's okay. That's something to be celebrated. And I think Michael Keaton delivers that. What, you, what? Daniel, what? I, I'm sorry. Batman is very serious. Yeah, he is very serious. I, 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 he's he, the most he, serious. We thing. don't laugh at Batman no. because he's for grownups. Yes. He's very adult. Very serious. 
Swear to me. I'm going to break the ranking. I, too, adore Michael Keaton. And again, I'm very excited to see him come back. My bias, for those of you who have not listened to my Batman, the animated series, Superman, the animated series podcast, they probably already saw this coming, but Kevin Conroy, my favorite version, I actually think he is also encapsulating both versions really, really well. He was the first actor to suggest they change the voices so that Bruce Wayne and Batman had very different voices. There's a lot of uh, bias there because I grew up with him, animated version, but also he's played that character consistently more than any other actor for decades. He still voices Batman. I mean, he was in the Arkham video games about a decade ago. It's Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, Arkham Knight. Uh, he did the Justice League. So I have a lot of time with him. So I'm very biased towards that, but I, I've seen his voice captured the range and because it's an animated format, he's able to go to places that the live action films haven't been able to go to quite yet. That said, there's more range because he, he's around longer and he's able to do more cause it's animated. So therefore I, I really like him. Uh, mask of the phantasm, which we'll get to later is, is I think arguably one of the best Batman movies. I will say though, I genuinely like things about every version, even the George Clooney version. And maybe, yeah, the Val Kilmer version. I think I can get on board with certain things about him, too. So, you know, there's not been a terrible actor who's played Batman. There's only been bad movies that he happens to be in. I'm looking at you, Ben Affleck. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, listeners, now that you know a little bit more about us, uh, let's go ahead and jump into our spoiler-free review of The Batman. Fear is a tool. When that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. I've been trying to reach you. Find the gun! This is about a king. Rithers to match. I can take care of myself. If this continues, it won't be long before you've nothing left. I don't care what happens to me. It's only gonna get worse for you. So according to IMDB, the Batman is described as when the Riddler, a sadistic serial killer, begins murdering key political figures in Gotham, Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption and question his family's involvement. So a couple of different fun facts I wanted to note here. Uh, firstly, Robert Pattinson stars in this film as Batman. He is the seventh actor to do this in a live action film so far. This movie, which just opened this past weekend, has grossed $134 million domestically in its opening weekend, which, if I'm reading correctly, is the biggest first film in the Batman franchise. So kudos there. Uh, and also just a little bit of production history. This film actually, despite being a standalone, unconnected version of uh, the Batman, was actually supposed to be a film starring Bat uh, Ben Affleck written, directed, produced by Ben Affleck as a part of the DCEU. But in 2017, uh, Ben Affleck stepped back, and then after the huge failure that was Justice League, Warner Brothers is basically like, um, guys, maybe we shouldn't put all our eggs in this basket. They brought on Matt Reeves, who is uh, most famous for recently doing two of the three Planet of the Apes films. So that's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War for the Planet of the Apes. 
And then he also did uh, Let Me In back in the day, which is a really great uh, American remake of uh, a fantastic film. And let's see. Oh, Owen oh, Cloverfield. How could we forget Cloverfield? Uh, so this is a guy who has a, in my opinion, has not made... Not only has he not made a mediocre movie, he's only made great movies from my perspective to date. Anyway, so Reeves was the one who made the made the call. He said, I want to start from scratch. We're doing my own Batman. And now we arrive at the Batman. So we're going to start with quick thumbs up, thumbs down, reactions and thoughts. Laurent Chapman, I'm going to start with you. What did you think of the Batman? Um, this gets a solid thumbs up for me. I do think it's imperfect, but I think that the things that I love about it, I really love about it. Um, so it's excelling in in the areas that check the boxes for me to go out to the multiplex and spend three hours watching a movie about a character that's been, you know, um, molded and shaped over the years. And so I um, I walked away with it. Um, very pleased. Very pleased. Awesome. So we got one pro. Brock Lay, what did you think of the Batman my thumb is at like a 45 degree angle pointing up. There were some things that um, that I loved about the film and some things that I didn't kind of in LeBron's boat. Um, but the more I talk about it, the more I'm kind of like, even when I talk about the negatives, it's almost like myself. I'm like, oh my God, like I liked it a way more than I thought. I thought Pattinson was great. And I thought just the, the overall look of the film and how it was written is completely different from any other Batman we've had. So I really, uh, I really appreciated that aspect of it. Awesome, awesome, and we'll get more into you know Patton's performance specifically here in a moment. But uh, first, Daniel Bokemper, what did you think of the Batman? Yeah, I definitely enjoyed it more than I expected to. Um, to follow Laurent and Brock's lead, it establishes this tone, this sort of malaise that permeates the entire film, and I think it it it's something I've wanted from a Batman film, but just hasn't haven't quite gotten. Yeah, with this one. And it does have plenty of callbacks, homages. There's clear inspiration, not just from other Batman films, but also films in general in a way. It's a it's a celebration of cinema and that, um, you know, coming at it from that angle. But but it still feels entirely fresh. It definitely feels like its own beast, and it's a bit of a beast. Um, it Part of me wonders if my, my luster and how I'm receiving it is, oh, this is the shiny new toy. Um, so it becomes very easy to to put it a bit on a pedestal. But um, aside from what I consider a somewhat lackluster finale and a few other minor complaints, it's it's incredibly solid um, and definitely worth sitting in cinemas. I'm excited to revisit it probably within the next few months. All right. So I think I will close this out here and just say that we have a consensus around the table, which is this is a great movie. It's a great Batman movie. And Daniel, to your point, I was thinking hard about this. This is probably the first DC movie I have been legitimately excited to rewatch since Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight Rises. I think it's actually better than that film. But I'm saying that's how long it's been since I've been this amped about any DC movie. And honestly, there are probably hardly any Marvel movies that I've been this excited to revisit. I, I say that to say, I think this film, it does have a lot to offer. It's an immaculately crafted film. This, the production design, the art direction, the score, the score, this actually rivals the score from the Michael Keaton films by Danny Elfman, which I didn't think was possible. You know, especially we're looking at uh, Nolan's films and you had the Hans Zimmer score, which is what it, I mean, it was really influential, impactful, but not super hummable. Uh, and then you had the Zack Snyder Batman movies. I can hardly tell you what that score sounded like. This is an iconic, like return to theme Batman score. Uh, really, really exceptional. Brock, to your point, I think this is my favorite representation of Gotham on the big screen. 
is in it's the it's a nice fine line between the realism we got from the Nolan films, but also like the sort of heightened noir that Batman is known for. And that way, I think this is the 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 like most iconic version since the animated series, which you know again that series was really into the Art Deco thing and was really iconic for that. I agree, and I loved it. But there was one thing, and this spoils nothing. I could not stand the naming of Gotham Square Garden. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, I kind of rolled my eyes a little bit when they did that too. Yeah. Other than that, they nailed it. Yeah. Gotham Stock Exchange were totally cool. Gotham <laughs> Square Garden. I draw the line at Gotham too Square far. Garden. <laughs> too far. But I do, I would go to any of the concerts that went there though. <laughs> <laughs> Prince Hologram. <laughs> Prince <laughs> yeah. Everything about this film is really good. I think, I do think it, uh, we'll get into the specifics, the details. Um, again, cast across the board a plus um i do i did feel the runtime i'm not saying i was ever bored or like let's wrap it up but you know sometimes when you're in a movie even when you like you still kind of like okay we're getting we're approaching the finale right and then you realize there's still like you know 30 minutes left so i, I did think it was a little long and yeah daniel we'll think we'll get into it but it's definitely some third act problems that i uh i noticed uh, whereas the first two acts of the film i was like this is a detective story unlike anything we've ever seen in any superhero film and just a really great detective story on the likes of like seven, you know, and then the last act, it's like some studio execs like, "Mm -hmm." so I have two notes and I won't say what those notes are because uh, we haven't made it to spoilers yet, but you know, (laughs) we got to have this thing and we got to have this thing, but outside of that outstanding film overall. So let's get more into the, the weeds here about Pattinson's performance though. How well did this work for you? Daniel, I'll start with you on this one. Yeah, and and as I mentioned when we were ranking our Batman, um, he may be my favorite. Um, it's a little early to say, but I feel pretty strongly about that. I mean, he's brooding and severe, but similar to Michael Keaton, but not not quite to the extent of Michael Keaton. Um, and admittedly, there's a pretty important narrative distinction. I, and I'll go ahead and just say it. We don't get quite as much Bruce Wayne as we do a lot of the other hardly uh, any films. Bruce almost Wayne. no Bruce. Wayne. I'm pretty sure you can count the number of Bruce Wayne only scenes on like one, two hands, if not one hand, it's like 6% Bruce Wayne, 94% Batman. Uh, don't ask me how I arrived at that specific percentage, but um, yeah. But I think for the sake of the identity crisis, that actual, that like subdued Bruce Wayne, that little bit of Bruce Wayne we get serves it very well. And I think Robert Pattinson was a great choice um, to kind of carry that story, that personal story. Um, I, I cannot think of anybody who would, who would, that I know of that would, that would serve this, uh, purpose better, but also has that distinct look has that, I mean, with Batman, it's all kind of in the nose, honestly, like there's a, a way Batman sort of just classically looks that I think he fills. And again, it's not flawless. His performance does have some issues, but it's still effective and, and ultimately quite moving. All right. Yeah. So uh, I'll keep going on the table. Laurent, do you agree with Daniel? Did you feel like this is a really strong, unique take? Did Pattinson really uh, sort of meet the challenge? So I've been a fan of Pattinson a lot post Twilight, you know, good, good time, the lighthouse. I mean, he's, he's really, you know, churned in some really great, you know, compelling performances. And, and I think that um, I was actually excited for his take on this. I didn't come into this with any kind of hesitation because I, I, I do admire him as an actor. Um, I will say I agree with the half of what you know what Daniel said is that basically I think that he was a great Batman and I don't think I don't necessarily think he was a great Bruce Wayne but I also don't know how much of that is his fault because again as he mentioned it was um there's not much of Bruce Wayne in the film and so I, I would say that's probably one of the one of the film's flaws 
Um, but I think that he was very effective as Batman. And he's probably, again, in contention for me, too, being um, one of the best Batmans versus the one of the best, the dual, the whole encompassing thing. So, um, but yeah, I think he was very effective. And um, it was one of those performances, again, that I think that I'll be excited to revisit, you know, um, after this, because I find myself really thinking about this specific take on on this character and i think that with the material that as it as it is written he did a very effective job so yeah i think that's a great note and we're gonna get more into it in spoilers about how intentional these choices were but one thing i want to say outside of the text of the movie which is we see him as almost exclusively batman i do wonder and matt reeves is attempting to make something we hadn't seen before which is a good thing and i think he succeeded overall but how much of that was watching the Nolan films and saying, okay, what can I do differently? The reason I say this is because, as we'll get much more in detail in spoilers, th- this film presents Batman as the guy. He is, his true intrinsic self is Batman. You know, we don't really even see, the, we don't even see the performance of Bruce Wayne, really. Whereas the Nolan films, Bruce Wayne is the intrinsic person, and he's trying to create this symbol and identity bigger than himself, as Batman. Um, so it's just an interesting, a fundamentally different approach that I really like, but it is interesting. I was, you know, kind of looking and saying, cause I feel like the Keaton one does both. The, the Conway version does both. Uh, this version seems like the opposite of what we, we most the, like the most popular version we got, you know, yeah. about a decade ago. Well, just the final note I'll make about that is that I think that this is one of the first times I've noticed that they've really leaned into this idea that Bruce Wayne is the facade and and Batman is the true identity, and I'm and I thought that was really an interesting take. I mean, they've kind of hinted this even in the Dark Knight to some extent. You know, um, let let Batman be the one to sacrifice all the the bad press and the bad image and what have you in the cause of greater good. But here, it definitely feels like he's putting on a you know a, a performative act with with the Bruce Wayne thing. Like that's the thing he doesn't want to do. Batman is who he is, you know. And so I really did like that approach for sure. Brock, what did you think of Robert Pattinson as Batman? I thought he did good. I um I enjoy him as an actor. I feel like for somebody that had the success with Twilight, you know, some actors uh could be tied to that role forever and that's all you see them as is, you know, Edward, but I feel like he's shed that, you know, even before this movie, but with being in this role, I think he just pushes himself further away from that. Not that it's bad to be associated with that, but I think you just, you want to be an actor. You don't want to be associated with one role. And with this, I think he did the brooding well. And the only thing that really held him back was his hair. And it is because of Spider-Man three and Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire rocked the goth boy emo haircut it was super broody and it came off as very campy and shitty. Pattinson does it well. He but the hair it just reminds me so much of Tobey Maguire. And I'm like, God damn, you look like a fucking moron. And so <laughs> it really irked me. And it was nothing that Pattinson did. It was it was wardrobe and yeah. hair, and it was their choice. So I'm like, in the in the sequel, I really hope they just cut his fucking hair just give him a nice buzz cut just give him a buzz cut a quaff yes it's fine see he's he's year two so he's still trying to figure out so 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 again but we haven't mentioned this yet this is set in year two 
of the Batman saga and this specific version of the Batman saga. So, so we don't get origin story. Thank God. We don't see Martha Wayne's pearls drop. I'm sorry. You I guys wanted to be here so bad. <laughs> I made a, a Laron Laron. And for the listeners, I told everyone, I said, if Martha Wayne's pearls hit the ground, I will buy everyone I, a drink. I was trying to find technicalities too. I'm like, what if you just hear like a pearl hitting the ground? <laughs> Off screen, just in a memory, that like counts. Yes, that no, count no. Me. I said you have to see it uh, from her <laughs> neck know. on the ground. So that didn't happen. Uh, yeah. So we, they, they just assume that we all already know about the origin story, which is smart because we've seen, like I said, seven live action versions of Batman so far. Most of those have at least one origin story that we've seen. I mean, then after Zack Snyder's, where you literally have the slow mo version of it, you're just like, yeah, we're good. But I say that to say he's still working the kinks out, right? So he's Batman. People know who he is. Like they know who Batman is, but the cops still don't know. They're still like, well, we know who he is, and I guess he helps, but can we trust him? I'm I'm so sorry. I'm still hung up on Brock's comment. Just like <laughs> imperfect Batman, year two. I still haven't figured out how to fit my fucking hair in this mask. <laughs> <laughs> but the way you're saying that, he didn't do the regular. He didn't. He didn't do the bell. Exactly. Then. Too. And yeah. that's, that was a refreshing take too. He it was. he spoke normally and it's just like no one still knows who you are. But the only time he really did the Batman voice was in the the monologues. The, the, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it also helps Laurent's point too because they're yeah. Be we get that take that that Batman is. Bruce Wayne, not the other way around. Like mm-hmm. that is the real persona. Yeah. And I think it kind of helps mm-hmm. serve that point pretty well. So I have a question for you on that note though, Brock, uh, I, I was, I was, I was getting my, my question here, which is this is year two um, Batman. Do we think just a general question? We all have said we like the movie, but do you, did you guys ever get the feeling this movie was tiptoeing right up to that very fine line of self parody with the seriousness? You made, you know, I hadn't thought about the Spider-Man three comparison, but when you pointed out, I was like, and if you didn't, that's fine. I just because the movie does like with especially specifically with the journals, it feels like a little. I was like, fine with the journals. The only eye rolls that came for me were some of the monologues. It was very tragic poetry. I am the shadows. Yeah, you know, and like. it just kind of got like, man, it's really heavy handed, and it's really hard to digest that. Like, no one yeah. really talks like that. And this is such a movie that's so grounded in reality in every other aspect that it's just like I don't really think he would talk this poetically about this shit. He would just kind of just. Yeah, go about it. I don't know. That was kind of, and it's not, and it's not consistent either. That's the one thing. Okay, they started off. I was like, is that how it's going to be? It's really they're really leaning into the noir aspect, you know, the the narrator. But then it kind of gets derailed until, and it's just like, if you weren't going to commit to it, did you even need it? You know what I mean, like kind of thing. So, but. Well, and then we get the one, it's a nice, well, not a nice bookend, but it's a bookend because at the end, it gives them an excuse to write the monologue where they're like, okay, guys, so if you didn't know, here's the takeaway. Yes. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> which again, we'll get to the spoilers, so, but I will say the movie, despite being very bleak and arguably the darkest version of the character does end on a very optimistic note, which is great, which is great. And I'm not going to get on a rant about the Ben Affleck Batman, but I'm just so happy to see a Batman that even though he's. You can have a really dark, brooding Batman that's also like ultimately here to bring people hope and joy and not just murder people, you know? It was just his haircut that brought it down for me. He looked like Tobey Maguire from Spider-Man 3, but I will say, (laughs) spoiler alert, I did enjoy his jazz scene um, better, and he was a better dancer than Toby in that. In that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to watch the movie to find out. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so if you haven't already, go see the movie to watch the uh, the secret scene. <laughs> 
Let's talk about the rest of the cast, though. We like Robert Pattinson. I have to we'll, we'll go around the table, Brock, starting with you. Who was your favorite member of the supporting cast outside of Pattinson? And ladies and gentlemen, we had so many great choices. We had Colin Farrell's Penguin. We had Zoe Kravitz's I had, uh, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman, Paul Dano's Riddler. Out of nowhere, John Turturro uh, as Falcone. I mean, just uh, yeah. a, 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 there are so many good options. Brock, you forgot one, and I'll get to him. Colin Farrell, easily the best one. You forget that it's Colin Farrell, and you don't even look at him as if like um, you're trying to find him anymore because he's not there. Yeah. Like, yeah. You think about Johnny Depp whenever he does like a character. Yeah. You're like, I still see Johnny, or you look for Johnny, and you're like, okay, I found Johnny. That was pretty easy. Colin Farrell is the most underrated actor in I don't know how long. Like uh-huh. Tigerland, just yeah. so many movies yeah. that he's in, in Bruges, like there's so many more. And I feel like he doesn't get the respect he deserves. He was fantastic in this. Zoe Kravitz was beautiful, sexy, amazing actress. She did for Catwoman what, uh, oh hell, and Michelle Hathaway? Pfeiffer. Oh, yeah. Dan Hathaway, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer did for Catwoman, which was turned me into a man. Uh, she's doing that for young boys today. But go. the one that you forgot was Peter Sarsgaard. Yeah. He yeah, pulls ooh. it full circle. As the DA. As the yep. DA. But Maggie Gyllenhaal was in Nolan's films. They are married, so there it comes full circle. There's the connection. Ooh. I enjoyed seeing Peter Sarsgaard because mm. I always enjoy him. Did forget about Peter. Also, Jeffrey Wright. Can't Jeffrey, free. Yes. He's, he's, yeah, under Jeffrey Wright. I, I mean, just, just not look. as Commissioner Gordon, though. Lieutenant. Lieutenant. Gordon. Yeah. But it's only year two, bro. He's yeah, all, I know. Too <laughs> early. Well, and you know what's funny about him is he is low-key... I mean, he's the heart in a lot of ways. He's the heartbeat, but he's also the comedic relief. He gets all the best jokes in the movie. Yeah, like like they're, it's very subtle, but like it, the, yeah. the, all the laugh moments. Back Some to him. drive. Yeah, he was really Just, good. But all right. all right, I mean, aside from the obvious ones, it was, it was Peter for me. Peter Starscream. Okay, all right, very cool. Laron Chapman, who is your favorite supporting cast member? And I mean, it's it's like you said. I mean, there isn't a weak supporting performance. There isn't a weak performance in the film. I don't think. Um, but I do think that. The most transformative, for sure, is definitely Colin Farrell as the Penguin, and much like Brock said, you know, because you're not thinking about him being Colin Farrell, and that's a huge testament to the performance. Because, and I've said cheekily in my review of this, you know, that you know that this is the performance I think Jared Leto was going for in House of Gucci with the the fat suit and the the prosthetic makeup, but but I knew the whole time this is Jared Leto giving Can the we? performance I really I really enjoyed that part of your review that made me laugh oh so. yeah I now want to see a version of the internet where they cross cut scenes from this movie with Jared Leto yeah. in it <laughs> and it seems like an easy comparison too because some people thought I was being too harsh um, but I was like I was like it's the same thing it's like they're both playing kind of these monster like kind of vibes you know and then he obviously the same level of makeup prosthetics all that um, but the difference is, is I never once am sitting here thinking other than the fact that I knew that it's Colin Farrell. It know? wasn't distracting. It wasn't distracting. Yes. I wasn't no. thinking about it. I was, I was believing him as this character and, and cause there's nothing recognizable about him. You know, I was able to really just lean into the performance and I thought he did great. So, um, with, with not even that much screen time, I thought he just had some great, just subtle moments. A know, plus. So. A plus, yeah, so. no, and, and and I'm super excited he's getting, or he's part of, there's actually two different HBO Max series they're building off of this universe, and one of them is starring Colin Farrell as the Penguin, so mm. I'm all about more of this character, this yeah. version of the character, yeah, I think For he's sure. a scene stealer. All right, Daniel Bokemper. Yes. I mean, outside of the Penguin now that we've gushed on him, <laughs> who is your favorite supporting cast well, Okay, yeah, and I can't, I can't add anything to that conversation. 
um, in general because Colin Farrell is great. I will mention him just briefly in saying that um, he's pretty good at portraying people who either are reminiscent of animals or want to be animals. Um, I'm talking about the lobster, uh, <laughs> which, uh, yes, I, I, uh, yeah, he's great. Um, not, not much can be said. I, I also, of course, really enjoyed Zoe Kravitz. Um, I do. There is not a bad casting choice, as Lauren was saying, in this film. But um, I think the character may have been briefly underutilized. Um, I'm still kind of weighing reconciling that. Um, I will also say another character that was ultimately a bit underutilized but was still a great performer behind them was uh, Alfred, played by Andy Serkis. Mm -hmm. Not very much of him, but I have a feeling we'll get Andy Serkis on the uh, the rebound with uh, Gorilla Grodd. Uh, somewhere, <laughs> somewhere down the road. There's a Flash and, movie coming yeah. later this year. I was going to say, there's yeah. Well, we can get you to play a CGI monkey again. Would you feel better about that? Uh, he's like, fucking yes. Just let me put on that blue suit or whatever. Just, I liked how he wasn't really a butler. He was kind of yeah. just <laughs> no. He's like, yeah. I'm gonna I don't want to spoil anything because I'm gonna do some other shit. Like yeah. yeah. Well, and like, how he he wasn't really a father figure and kind of, I don't know. It was, mm -hmm. I it was kind of nice to have him a little bit. It, it was refreshing yeah, and yeah. seeing, it was seeing uh, the two of them actually, which we'll get to more to in spoilers, but, but actually seeing both of them work together on actual detective work. Like, and I'm not saying them talk about it. It's in, Oh, you see Alfred literally studying like notes and Riddler keys, you know? And I just feel like we haven't seen that before. Right. It's usually he's serving him or he gives Batman an idea and he, mm -hmm. Batman goes and does the thing. Yeah. Uh, but also not to uh, exclude Paul Dano. Of course, who? God, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Looking at Paul Dano's filmography, sometimes I'm like, "Wow, you're like every role he's in is great, but it's in such little. Like, there's so few performances. Mm -hmm. I yeah. think. And and um, yeah. but but again, a very a Riddler that's both composed, but then completely goes off the rails. Um, into into um, you know, the uh, the madhouse when he is in the madhouse actually appropriately, but. Um, yeah, definitely a, 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 a very good – and in a lot of ways, and, and what the film is trying to orchestrate is somewhat of a parallel between the Riddler and Batman. And I think Paul Dano is kind of the perfect foil to Robert Pattinson's uh, Batman. So, yeah, just great calls. Again, it really, if you want to see just killer performances alone, uh, you know, look no further than this film. And I remember, you know, again, looking back at the cast of some of the old – old ones, you know, I mean, I remember when we think about the Nolan movies hit it out of the park and they did, but I mean, I, I just can't think of any of the Batman movies where every character is so perfectly fine tuned and utilized uh, mm -hmm. like this film. Uh, I think the only thing I'd add here, I, we, we hit on all the high points. I'm just going to say John Turturro as Falcone. I just want to mention this because I barely knew he was in the movie before I went and saw it. Like, I think I read a couple days ago. I was like, Oh, he's in this movie. Cool. Cause they didn't, they didn't play him up in the, the promos. And I, I think I expected great things from all the pe people we mentioned, Paul Dano, Robert Pattinson, Colin Farrell, Zoe Kravitz. I knew they were going to deliver something interesting and good, and they all hit home runs. The person I certainly didn't expect to be like so chilling was John Turturro as the uh, Falcone, you know, mm -hmm. and because he has he's like just so emotionless, static the whole time, even when he's in the midst of like really horrifying situations. He just just sits there and he just talks like this. Yeah. Yeah, I just called in some favors and got XYZ murdered, you know? Like, and it's just, it's just, he's so composed. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I just want to throw that out there because he, in my mind, he was the dark horse who had just came out of left field. And I was like, wow, this guy is in a very competitive scene for A plus uh, performers. He's really stealing the thunder right now. Quick question. 
Do you think this will get any nods for any of the actors, like an Oscar or Golden Globe or anything? It's so early, and it's one of those things where I I hate that this so much has done well in it that you know with it being so early. Once you get to Oscar season, is it going to be one of those things that be like, oh yeah, remember Batman? Like, oh, yeah. it, you know, that always seems to happen with a movie that comes out this yeah. this early. But I definitely think just. As of right now, having not seen anything, I think it definitely would be something that would be in contention for cinematography, score, um, yeah. you know, maybe, um, yeah, maybe a couple supporting performances. Um, and then you never know. I mean, Black Black Panther got a Best Picture nomination. This is a, this is definitely better than that. So this is the reason they this is the reason they they. In fact, The Dark Knight was the reason they went from five nominations for Best Picture to ten. Um, again, there's so many, it's like Batman just keeps coming in and saying like, see comic book movies can be something guys. It's like, you know, like the other ones can't do that, you know, but Batman always makes a case for it, you know? So, okay. You know, this wasn't, let's just, let's, let's take that one step further, Laurent. Cause why is that? Because I don't want to necessarily get into this whole, I don't want to get into like fanboy arguments or all there, but like, here's the the fact of the matter is people were so upset that Spider-Man didn't get a best picture nomination Mm -hmm. and this I don't mean say this to say that it's a bad movie. I gave it a very good review. I love it. I love Spider-Man. I love what they did. It was a blast. But it's just not a movie that's really pushing the envelope right. as a film. Whereas this movie, I can look at it and say, I mean, it did some stuff I've never seen before. Um, and not just like fan service. Like it's like, no, they did some there were some very specific filmmaking choices where you're like, wow, I've never seen this before. And that's and I think it goes back to Dark Knight and what Christopher Nolan was doing with those movies, did the same thing. Yeah. You know? So I think you, I mean, what do you think? I think Batman does push the envelope more than we've seen most superhero films. I just think Batman and the universe of Gotham and the politics of Gotham and just, I just think that there's a lot more to mine there and and kind of excavate, you know, to get, to get more, you know, to find parallels with our current society and all these different things. Whereas I think Spider-Man is, you know, again, can always be enjoyable, but I, I just don't feel like it ever, like you said, it kind of stays in a comfortable bubble that it doesn't ever doesn't have any need really to kind of escape, you know, and I think Batman's more pliable for a lot of different things, you know, having a lot of different kinds of conversations that are relevant or pressing in some way. So, yeah, definitely taps on the zeitgeist in a different way. Not to say that Spider-Man and a lot of the other superheroes don't, but yeah, to, to Laurent's point, he's way more malleable. He begs questions that just you don't get with a lot of other superhero films, or if they do, it's, um, it, it's almost in response to a precedent that Batman himself had already set. Right. Um, very unique in that way. Mm-hmm. Brock, any thoughts? Uh, what do you, I mean, would you be pretty pumped to see uh, the Batman in the Oscar conversation? Yeah. I mean, even some performances, you know, like you think of Colin Farrell or Paul Dano, just they, like we said, you just don't think about who they are. Like you're not thinking about Paul Dano as being Paul Dano or Colin Farrell as being Colin Farrell. And I think that really speaks to, one, the writing and just how grounded it was into just the performances and how they really like lost themselves in that. And so, I don't know, that's kind of what I was speaking to is like, you had, you know, you had Ledger in his legendary role as, um, you know, as Joker. And so I feel like in with today, these roles, like, I, I don't know, I feel like they got some supporting nods. I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't scoff at it. Well, and you know, actually you mentioned, obviously, yes, Heath Ledger's Joker, but we can't forget, uh, Joker starring Joaquin Phoenix also got a lot of love. And in fact, Joaquin Phoenix won the Oscar. Uh, So, which by the way, that's just a terrific speech. If you ever get around to watching it, I mean, it's very um, vulnerable 
yeah. in a way that I found particularly moving. But uh, so I, I guess to say it to say, I, I feel like, yeah, Brock, it, there's a possibility there, but it uh, depends on what happens between now and next, what, February. <laughs> so <laughs> got a little, little right, ways yeah. to go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. So just I think it's just a quick question I want to ask about the runtime. I felt the runtime. I don't think it's a major detractor for me, but uh, did you guys feel like it justified a three hour movie? Because I'm always talking about, and I feel like every movie I've watched in the last several months is two and a half hours long yeah. or longer. And more and more, I'm all, I'm, all, I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm down. But more and more, when I get to the end, I'm like, did this need to be this long? Almost every time. Uh, so I want to ask you guys, do you think this justified the three hour runtime? Because I do think it can be done. And uh, Daniel, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think it, I mean, it, uh, first of all, I'm probably not the person to ask because I think uh, Zack Snyder's cut of Justice League felt fine at its runtime too um so i'm in it for those long slow molasses like films um including blade runner 2049 especially blade runner 2049 see that's um, a movie that, but see that's a movie that like that's a movie that my mind justifies the runtime mm-hmm, dune absolutely. justifies exactly. the runtime lord of the rings return of the king a three and a half hour long theatrical cut in my mind it, justifies the runtime at least three hours and 15 minutes of it. Um, and the same thing here, uh, the Batman justifies two hours and 50 minutes of its red time. Right. Um, but there are a few there, especially one egregious scene, um, in the final act that I feel like is completely unnecessary. Um, but, um, otherwise, yes, absolutely. It, it feels well and it, it feels really good as a cell. It's not going to be of course, but it feels really good as a self-contained Batman too. And I think if that's what you're going for, you you know to tell a, an interesting not that you need that i guess the mask of the phantasm is like 85 minutes long but um i, I don't know it, long story short it definitely establishes its runtime and justifies it i think in in spades all right brock what do you think about that i feel like it could have cut about 20 minutes uh i felt it was a little bit long a little bit bloated uh i definitely felt it and i definitely was like mm, is this okay it's not okay it's not done nope okay i think 20 Minutes would have been good if it had been cut. I'd have felt better. Yeah. Keep it short. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I, won't, I won't go long like Black, Black Batman. I'll keep it uh, at, at that. I will say, Brock, one of the benefits we saw this together at the Flix Brew House is uh, I could order a beer and have it delivered to me. And I was like, whenever I started to feel the runtime, I just was like, I'll take another. That was, <laughs> that was why I was we're so mad. I was like, we're I gotta, not done here. I was like, I got to drive home. I, if this isn't any longer, I'm going to keep drinking. <laughs> All right. Laurent Chapman, what do you think? Yeah, same thing. I, it's one of those things where I felt like um, I was never bored. And I think that's important to know, because a lot of times when you ask this question, like, did it justify the runtime? Meaning, were you bored throughout the process? I was never bored, but I did feel like somewhere around the two and a half hour mark, um, I think the movie had made its point. Yeah. Yeah. And there was nothing that was said differently in the last half hour. So it wasn't that I was bored for the the, the duration of the film. I just felt like there was nothing left to say. And so it did feel like it was just kind of spinning its wheels to its credits. And at that point, I was like, you yeah, know, maybe it could have been, you know, 20, 20 minutes, half an hour shorter. And we could have still gotten everything that we we got there without, you know, so some judicious trimming. It wasn't egregious the time the run length, as I thought it was when I when it when they announced it. I was like, do we need a three hour? Mm-hmm. Like, that seems pretentious. It's like, but, and then I watched and I was like, actually, I've enjoyed if I enjoyed two hours in 45 minutes of the movie, then, yeah, you know, yeah. then I guess. You know, that 15 minutes, I'm not going to cry too much about, you know, so. Yeah, I'm with you on that, Uh, which is to say, I I do, again, the movie has a really climactic moment that we'll get to in spoilers, but then, and then they're like, oh, and there's this other thing that we've got to do. And that's the part where I was like, okay, 
now we're going through the motions. Right. This is a superhero movie, guys. We're gonna we got to do the thing. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's they do it poorly. I'm just saying that, that in terms of pacing, I thought up until this, this specific moment, I was like, this movie is immaculately paced. I love the mystery. There's actually not a ton of action in this movie, other than yeah. the end and the coolest. Batmobile chase yeah. in any Batman yeah, movie, yeah. hands down. Coolest Batmobile. I agree. Oh, yeah. That the reveal, just execution, everything. My God, what a great execution! Oh, I can't wait for spoilers. <laughs> wait to talk. Um, but but I will I will say so to your point though. I didn't hate that part that came after, but it just that's where I was like, all right, let's wrap it up because yeah. we all know how this is going to go. Sure. You know. Um, that said. Uh, Kudos to this movie for really keeping me on the edge of my seat on a, as a mystery. Yeah. And I wasn't sure a Batman movie would be able to hook me in a mystery in that way. Um, as effectively as this film did. And up until it, it kind of hits that climactic moment, I thought it was just a really flawless, like mystery story paced really well. Not a lot of action, a lot of character drama anyway. So let's get to letter grades and then we're going to make some recommendations for listeners and then we're going to rank the Batman movies and then we'll get to spoilers. So with that said, what letter grade would you give the Batman Brock Lay? I'm going to start with you. Well, as everyone knows, and if you check your key, a 45 degree upward thumb means a minus uh, a minus as everyone knows. I, now they do. I know that. The <laughs> Next time Brock asks me for a letter grade, I'm going to say 45 degrees. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's the new. That's the yeah. That's the new. The new ranking. Um, I'm going to go with the same. The same letter grade. I I don't have as clever a way to say it, but just an A minus for me as well. Awesome. So two A minuses. Daniel Bokemper. Why am I always the lowest rated? I, I thought you were the one who likes the movie I the most. I'm to be. I like movies, guys. I promise. Um, no, I'm, it's a it's a with a caveat that this will probably appreciate perhaps with time. It is a B minus for me for a Ooh, low frying. A minus. I know, wow. I know low frying Batman. Low, he's low to the ground. Uh, but again, it could it could appreciate in time. I do. I am hankering for a second viewing. But again, with wanting to dig into some of the the issues I may have had with it. But no, I am going to stand firm at a B minus for now. Because I'm going to give it a B plus because I, here's the other thing I didn't hit on, which we're going to talk about in spoilers. And the, the fundamental question is, is it possible to have another groundbreaking Batman? And the, the problem with this is, or detractor, not necessarily this film specifically, but if, when it has arrived in the cultural conversation around superheroes and Batman, I feel like we are not we're being a like Matt Reeves is original in this vision, but there is certainly a lot of things where you're like, this feels very familiar, even though it's, I want to make sure I'm clear. I think it's original. It's a unique vision, but there's a certain familiarity that I, I felt because we bec only because we've seen so many different versions of Batman up until now. And that's probably what's keeping me from the B plus to the A minus, frankly. But I do, I love this film. I'm excited to revisit it. I, it's in my upper echelon of Batman movies as we'll talk about in a minute. So check it out listeners. It's worth your time. With that said, we're going to make some alternate movie recommendations. Well, actually it could be uh, movies, television shows, uh, novels, music, video games, or any other type of media recommendations uh, for you listeners. So if you enjoy the Batman what should you check out next? And we'll go in reverse order this time. So Daniel Bokemper, what do you recommend for the listener? Yeah, I've got two. So if you like that sleuth, 
uh, that is Batman. That's really, you know, close to the ground, um, but also very, um, you know, intimate with, with Gotham and its inner workings and, and very just aware of his surroundings. And then you do like the, the kind of the modern, uh, noir frame that it, um, it delivers. I think Ryan Johnson's brick has only, um, gotten better with age, uh, a film that I, I revisited like two or three years ago and I want to revisit it again already. So, um, yeah, I would say Brian, Ryan Johnson, excuse me, his, um, film brick. Um, and then, these technically won't come up uh, here in a moment when we're ranking our Batman films, so I don't feel uh, bad recommending them here. But the very recent uh, animated adaptations of The Long Halloween, The Long Halloween Parts 1 and 2, I believe they may both be available on HBO Max as of right now. Right. Uh, they are? Okay, yes. Definitely check those out. I think if you watch them together, it's the approximate runtime of, of this film. So if you're okay with with this one, then... then I will say the part one ends on one hell of a cliffhanger. Exactly. Especially if you know the comic. You're like, that's not what happened. Yes. What? Oh. Yeah, yeah. Not hard to, to keep watching, too. So, yeah, definitely check out the uh, the long Halloween parts one and two if you're a fan of animated Batman, because I think it's uh, among the best animated Batman films. I do love that recommendation, Daniel. Thank you so much for sharing. LaRon Chapman, what would you recommend to the listeners? So I have a slew of them. I have four. I'll just say them really quickly. But basically, both of Fincher's uh, films, I know that a lot of people have recommended them um, or said it had, the film has echoes of it. But Seven and uh, Zodiac definitely come to mind when I was watching this. Um, but then also Chinatown um, and um, Prisoners um, were all films that I kind of saw – you know, inspirations from, or at least, at least had a similar, uh, tonal experience with the film. Prisoners, the Denny Villeneuve new movie starring Hugh Jackman. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, yeah. yes. All right. Not to be mistaken with the also other starring a very deranged Paul Dano. Oh, he's so True. creepy. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. think he's creepy in the Batman. Just wait until you see him yeah. in prisoners. Yes. Those are all excellent recommendations. Bronk lay. Uh, I also had seven. Uh, so I'll pivot and say another one is, uh, a, TV show, True Detective. I feel like that's mm-hmm. a really good one to watch season one and three. Uh, you can skip two. Skip two. <laughs> yeah. What about that second season? <laughs> it didn't happen. Um, and another kind of some vibes I got from the first act of the film, the first 30 minutes, I really just got some uh, Crow vibes. Yeah. Out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, I'll say the Crow. And if you love the climax of this film, I really, really, really recommend Hard Rain with Keanu Reeves mm-hmm. and okay. Morgan Freeman. Hey. All right. Throwback. All right. Very cool. Well, you guys have already said most of mine. I'm not even joking. Zodiac was my number one. I think that one's fairly obvious, but uh, check that film out. It just had an anniversary. What, 15? I think it turned 15 recently. I think that's what. So uh, Masterpiece. That's a, that's another movie that is very long, but I, I think really justifies the long runtime. So check that out. Um, I would also say uh, Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, since LeBron already said Prisoners. Daniel, you alluded to it earlier, but I think those are also excellent noir films that similarly do an incredible job of establishing an atmosphere, and there's a core mystery that's a slow burn throughout. Um, and then uh, if you want to go all the way back, Double Indemnity, one of the uh, original yeah. noir films um, that I really think anyone who wants to be a student of film or just really loves noir. If you haven't watched Double MDMD, check that out. It's it's a it's a masterpiece in my mind. Um, and then lastly, just on the video game side, if you haven't played them, the Arkham games are genuinely very very good. You feel like Batman. Specifically, the first two Arkham Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, A plus. You get to experience most of the Batman Rogues Gallery. 
The story is really compelling. And Biases, again, it features the most of the voice cast from the animated series. So you've got Mark Hamill doing the Joker. you got Kevin Conroy doing Batman. Check those out. Heather, one more on there. Sure. I will say, if you're thinking, I was just thinking about this, but a, a semi-heroic character who is perhaps having a crisis with what his position in the world is or what purpose he serves, um, while again being thrown into just a tremendous amount of violence, um, Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive, starring <sighs> Ryan Gosling. Ooh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Mm, nice. That's a good one. Yeah. Neo-noir. Neo-noir, mm-hmm. exactly, yeah. Exactly. Also Neo-Western. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, a lot of things. Yeah. Man, that movie's a masterpiece. Another podcast, ladies and gentlemen, drive. Check it out. All right, so the moment has arrived. The last thing we're going to do before we get to the spoiler section here is we are going to rank our our preferences for the theatrically released Batman films. So I'm just going to run down the list. These are only the ones that have opened in theaters. So we have Batman the movie from 1966 starring Adam West. We have Batman 1989, starring our boy uh, Michael Keaton from Tim Burton, and then the sequel from in 1992, Batman Returns, uh, and then the animated film based on the animated series, Batman Mask of the Phantasm in 1993, and then we have Batman Forever in 1995, then Batman and Robin starring Bat Nipples in 1997, <laughs> <laughs> and then after that we decided to, to pivot and go the opposite direction in 2005 with Christopher Nolan's Batman Begins, and then we have the... I would argue mythologized sequel, The Dark Knight in 2008, Dark Knight Rises in 2012. Uh, and then we show up with Batman v Superman in 2016 from writer-director Zack Snyder. Hell yeah. And then how could we forget the Lego Batman movie in 2017? And then, of course, we have The Batman. That's a lot of Batman movies, guys. <laughs> Just going down the list. So It's like he's pop in pop culture or something. Like, Why do we keep... It's like we've seen a lot of Batman. Yeah. Hmm. Lamont Chapman, I'm going to start with you. Right. How would you rank the Batman movies? I, I really want to see the Batman a second time to really feel feel out where I where I want to rank this, but I have it I'm in second place. Um, I still am pretty partial to The Dark Knight, um, and so I'm going to start there, and then I have the Batman in second place. Batman Returns in third place. Batman the Mask of the Phantasm in fourth place. Batman Michael Keaton. Um, the Lego Batman, um, Batman Begins, Batman Forever, The Dark Knight Rises, Batman and Robin, and then in last place, Batman versus Superman. All right. Did you have Batman the movie? Batman the movie? From 66. Oh, 66. So um, I don't actually have a relationship with that film, so okay. I felt unfair ranking it in because I don't think I would have given it a that fair ranking. Fair. Haven't seen it, so I can't say. Well. LeBron, you're missing out on shark, shark repellent and bombs. I, like I get the references. I'm totally seeing all of the, like I'm familiar with Adam West's character, but I just, I haven't, you know, really, really dug into that one. So that is a very noble choice, sir. I appreciate you for not. I just threw that bitch in last. Cause so I was going to say, I would have just put it in last. All right. So those are LeBron Chapman's picks. I think that's a pretty solid lineup. I, mine's a little different, but first I want to hear what Brock Lay's selection is. Oh, I'm about to piss some people off. <laughs> Number one, Batman 89. Number two, I have Batman. 22, The Batman. Uh, Number three, Batman Returns. Number four, Dark Knight. Number five, Batman Forever. Six, Dark Knight Rises. Seven, Batman Begins. Eight, Lego Batman. Nine, Batman and Robin. Ten, Batman versus Superman. And in last, I have Mask of the Phantasm, which is the most boring 
fucking Batman movie I have ever watched in my life. And you guys are crazy for putting it up as high as you have it. Brock, you're breaking my heart, man. I mean, if you would have put... It's 85 minutes BBS. and I felt like it was longer than the Batman. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. If, if I would have been, I could have forgiven you if you put it above BVS at the very bottom. But no, you, but BVS ever, I just, I, I, I don't know. It's okay, you know. To all of the listeners, I, uh, this is my last podcast, I'm sure. So it's been a pleasure. Um, I, in fact, have an entirely separate podcast where I have talked about this very movie. And I think it's actually even reposted in this uh, RSS podcast feed a couple of years ago. And in fact, I will probably repost it now in case you guys didn't hear me and Joshua under talk about it at Tower Theater back in 2017. I'll listen to it and see if it changes my mind. <laughs> um, but I mean, it gets, pro- I mean, like for, you get Mark Hamill's Joker bumps it up automatically a little bit. Right. So, okay. Well, I think I'd fallen asleep by that. Point. <laughs> he does. True. He doesn't show up until about halfway through. All right. Well, Brock, I think that's, that is not my selection, but uh, I appreciate yeah. you for participating. <laughs> I told you I was the bat suit with nipples. That's what I bring to this podcast. <laughs> no, that's great. I know. I, I appreciate the diversity around the table for real, though. Uh, Daniel Bokemper, how would you rank the Batman movies? Yeah, and I'll um, preface with there are two films I chose not to rank just because uh, similar to LeRon with uh, Batman the movie from 1966. Uh, not familiar enough with it to, to confidently rank it. So. <laughs> Uh, both Batman the movie and Batman Returns from 1992, I have omitted from this list. I, to my understanding, I would probably love Batman Returns. I just need to watch it. But that being said, I have a double tie for both first and second place. So there's four movies that compose my first and second place. Uh, number one, but kind of a, a, a tenuous number one. Uh, the first being uh, The Dark Knight. Um, and Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Uh, fuck you, Brock. That's great. <laughs> um, from there, I have the Batman uh, 2022 and Batman Begins uh, locked at second. Uh, beyond that, number three is Batman by Tim Burton from 1989. Four, The Dark Knight Rises. Five, Lego Batman movie. Six, Batman Forever. Seven, Batman and Robin. Eight, uh, BVS. Okay, see that that's where BVS belongs. Okay, so I'm 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 very glad we're on that same page, Daniel. You you could have put anything else as long as it's above below Phantasm. We're we're good. <laughs> um, okay, so here's what I got: uh, The Dark Knight, number one; Mask of the Net Phantasm, number two; The Batman, number three; number four; Batman Begins, number five; Batman 1989, number six; Batman Returns, number seven; The Lego Batman movie. Number eight, Batman 1966. Number nine, The Dark Knight Rises. Number 10, Batman Forever. Number 11, uh, BVS Dawn of Justice with the one note being that it's the ultimate cut, not the theatrical cut. And then below that is Batman and Robin. And I also want to point out, I actually find a lot to like about Batman and Robin, despite it being what it is. Batskates. Batskates and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I only ranked... uh, Batman versus Superman above Mask of Phantasm because my mom's name is also Martha. So oh. <laughs> it's I'm, personal. Personal. It's personal. I'm totally lying. I'm just kidding. I was just trying to make up for putting it above Phantasm. No, no. Hey, listen, listen, Brock. It's okay. It's okay. You know, there's yeah, that's a whole other podcast. We don't have to follow this one up okay. sometime. Awesome. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is all we have in our spoiler free review. What did you think of the Batman? Let us know by sending me an email at the cinematropolis at gmail.com. Without further ado, though, we're going to go ahead and jump into the spoiler section for the Batman. Then he had this. Now you want to get nuts? Come on, let's get nuts.
Tell me something, my friend. You ever dance with the devil in the pale moonlight? What? I always ask that of all my prey. I just like the sound of it. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen. To reiterate, we're in the spoiler section, so we're going to spoil everything that happens at the end of this movie. So I'm actually going to break this down by a few different topics. Topic number one being, is this the most noir Batman in Gotham yet? And what I mean is, as we alluded to and referenced in our spoiler-free section, this movie is a slow burn detective story. It opens with, it's bookended actually, with monologues or voiceover um, the first of which is intriguing because it's the first one. The second of which is, in case you didn't get the point of the story, <laughs> I got to represent hope too. Yeah, which can be all bad. Which, which again uh, speaks to the fact that, hey, hey, guys, just went through this out there. This guy doesn't just straight up murder people gleefully. It's so refreshing to see Batman not gleefully murder people on the screen. Sorry, Ben Affleck. Yeah. It's very nice for them yeah. to go out of the way. But that said, this is a is this a, a noir Batman? So we we look at Michael Keaton's that there's definitely like an influence of the noir. There's the Chris Nolan films, which are definitely neo noir. Uh, but uh, I want to discuss if this movie really sets itself apart effectively. So, uh, Lauren, I'm going to start with you. How would you say this film sets itself apart from previous iterations of the character? I love the way they leaned into the noir the nourish aspects of the story. I felt like that's what separates it, you know, from the other, the other iterations of it. And so much so that I was like, you know, remove the mask, remove this aspect of it. This would still be a compelling story to kind of follow. And I think so on that level, you know, also it's nice just seeing Bruce Wayne be, um, you know, this, this character that's, you know, on one end, you know, um, I kind of saw him and, the the Riddler, you know, as I kind of bear with me as a as political figures and they're both imperfect and they both have their own extremes for how they're going to execute their plans. But I was rooting for both of them at different various times. And I found that to be the kind of compelling component about this is that the villain, there's a blurred line there because they both got good points, you know? Yeah. And he's taking care of like, clearly corrupt people initially absolutely and it feels like the like batman is fighting the blue collar crime and then you know the riddler's fighting white collar crime oh and so and they're just and they just have their own methods for how they expose this and like batman's brutal with the people that are committing these crimes on the ground level just as just as the riddler is but why do we trade one for the other and say one's doing it right and one's doing it wrong? You know what I mean? So I felt that way that I love that, that kind of moral dilemma they had with that. And I think that the nourish aspects of the story really lent itself to that. Cause the detective's always the brooding kind of like he's doing the right thing, but you know, he's, there's a, it's a seedy environment and sometimes you got to get your hands dirty to, you know, to get your, so are you speaking of the blurred line and they, you feel like, you know, Batman feels he's doing it for the good and everybody says Riddler's doing it for the bad. But you think about the means in which they go about it. At the opening of the film, the Riddler's looking in on the mayor and he's spying on him through his window. And then you look further on in the film, Batman is spying on Zoe Kravitz as the Catwoman through her window. So it's like that same like parallel. And it's just like, oh, he's doing it as intel. Like, oh, he's trying to figure out what's going on. And the Riddler's doing it, you know, is in a sinister way. But it's like... 
it's it's bad either way. You're you, you shouldn't be looking through someone's window. So it's again, like you said, Laurent, that's that blurred line of where it comes into. Well, and I love it because in the noir, your protagonist is frequently questionable. Is this an unreliable sure. narrator? Is yeah. this guy actually a good guy? Right. Uh, I think a lot of the the best noir films out there, um, Maltese Falcon, uh, Double Indemnity, which I referenced earlier, like it, it gets into that question of like, okay, you're following this guy and you like him because he's the protagonist, but is he really doing the right thing? And and you know, Laurent, on that note, um, and I'll get more into this in the, in the second section, but the idea that the Riddler is actually one step ahead of Batman um, is pretty impressive. There's a, there's a point in the, in the film where Batman says we're playing his game, whether we like it or not, this is a position we haven't seen Batman in actually solving a case. We always get usually, I mean like the dark Knight. there was some stuff with the Joker where they did this really cool thing where they duplicate the bullets and stuff like yeah. that. You get, it was really quick, but the whole, this whole movie is about the process the process and of unraveling the, and the process is fascinating. And I think that's what it was. That's what, that's what justified most of the runtime for me. It was like just the, again, all the minutia, just the small, the small victories, like the little, how he found, how he came about. I found all of that, the mechanics of it to be a lot more interesting than the abbreviated version. When let's just get to the action and forget the, you know, the fact that Batman is also this really intelligent, you know, person. Um, and so, and that I found that really interesting for sure. Well, and this sort of harkens back to some of the influences here. I mean, we have things like uh, seven, uh, most specifically where we're talking about a villain who sees himself as a hero because he is taking out the people who have actively made people's lives worse, uh, worse because they've manipulated and gamed the system in their favor. That's pretty compelling, right? Why would Batman want to stop that guy, right? Um, and as we find out later in the film, his dad's hands might be dirty even. There's a point in the movie where they even question, like, maybe your entire belief in your father is is, is yeah, a lie. Fabricated, yeah. Fabricated, yeah. Um, so, Daniel, I'll turn to you. I mean, like, did you think that there was a, a really fresh noir take uh, for uh, audiences? Yeah, it was grim. It was bleak. And it was also very real. But at the same time, it doesn't sacrifice that classic Batman campiness that we don't get any of um, in uh, in uh, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy. Um, it's a particularly human I think rendition of the Cape Crusader, which is funny because again, we don't have the, the, the human element is almost absent in some ways with, with a uh, very minimal Bruce Wayne. Um, but at the same time, I like that we are a introduced to the film. Um, oh, what's the phrase? Immediate rest. Like we're, 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 we're just thrown in to the Batman two years in. And despite being two years in, he's still not good enough. He's not, you know, now the city has this Batman. They have a, a hero that they apparently needed. Um, but as he puts it in his own words, he still has to push harder um, in that opening dialogue. He's still not quite there yet. And I really like that because one of my – and Caleb, I know you might disagree um, with me and anyone. Welcome to disagree. But I think one of the problems I have with Nolan and, excuse me, his 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 Batman, his rendition of Bruce Wayne is that he becomes kind of a, almost a, a very capable Batman very, very, very quickly. And even by the end of this film, I'm not on board that this is a particularly effective Batman and I like that. Like he is the bat, and I know that the Dark Knight has the whole, you know, he's the the Batman Gotham needs right now or whatever. You know, I know they play with that idea, but I don't actually think they really commit or present it very well. Whereas this film does, and it doesn't need to say it overtly. It doesn't need to do it, even though again there are <laughs> the the film does kind of lay out its thesis in the form of a uh, a closing monologue that's completely unnecessary. Again, this is a very imperfect film, um, in a lot of ways, as Laurent said, but it's also. Um, a different take 
I think very satisfying. I think checks a lot of boxes that a lot of superhero films just simply don't. Um, and then it also, it, it nods to things. There's a very overt Zodiac. I, I see it, but I still lean on, you know, seven as the Fincher film that I think carries the most influence on this one. Um, but it doesn't feel like derivative. It doesn't feel like until maybe the very end, it kind of leans on those films to try and, um, build something that it inherently didn't have. But I, I would say it's more of an homage in that way and more of a nod. And I think in some ways it kind of like creatively pokes the bear that is Nolan's trilogy. I think of the, um, fly, I call it the flying squirrel sequence for lack of a better term, but it's the, yeah, it's the parallel to that, you know, when he's escaping the, um, police custody and he takes the winged bat suit. And I just, just watching the dark Knight So recently seeing that sequence in the first act of the film where he's going to get that international executive. And he does a very, very, very well, uh, executed like bat glide into a, you know, a, a, um, a skyscraper in this Batman, all he's doing is just running away and he eats shit when he try when he performs his back glide. Um, and I think that just speaks to this film and it speaks to the film of not taking itself too seriously, but also looking at like, this is not a perfect Batman two years in this Batman has issues. Um, and I, I just think it, it really explores that in a way that no other rendition of Batman has. I'd agree that it, it explores it differently. I want to make sure I'm, I'm clear. I don't agree or disagree with you. I think the Nolan take is fundamentally different. I know it's it is, easy. Yeah. It is very easy to compare them because it, that was the last standalone version and they are both noir in their own way. Whereas I really think this movie is, is channeling classic noirs. Yes. Whereas yeah, Nolan's neo noir. And, and to your point, um, we get to see Batman train with ninjas and Batman begins. Whereas this one, we don't really, we, I guess we just can assume that probably happened. We don't really know. I almost what, get this know. like old boy vibes. Really? Yeah. Like, <laughs> does, does 10 years of imaginary training actually mean you can fight or whatever the, yeah. the famous line but you, is. And, but you're right though, because no one's films, I think is no one's films are, are much more interested in the big questions, the big ideas, the big set pieces. Whereas we mentioned a second ago, like this movie is way more interested in the process. Yeah. And when you're doing that stuff, like, okay, you want to glide. How do that actually work? Oh, it wouldn't really work very well. Would it, you know, at least yeah. on your first time, right? Smack so, the pavement. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I, I don't think you're, uh, it's not a, a degree or disagree. It's just, I, I don't think it's, I think it's just a different take. Sure. Um, yeah. But uh, Brock, what, what do you think about the noir take here? I mean, is this your, you mentioned this was maybe your favorite Gotham yet? Yeah, it was. Uh, to speak, I forgot about the uh, the bat squirrel suit. That was my that was my least favorite shot of the movie where it went where it went with the GoPro scene where it was like uh, first person, not first person, uh. where it showed his face and he's like gliding. I was like, this that's the worst shot I've ever seen. Like that totally pulled me out of the movie in that moment. But Which I, is weird. Cause I'm like the motorcycle sequence actually alert worked pretty well. <laughs> I when, dug, but the don't like, I dug the motorcycle sequence where it's like literally the camera angle is at his foot, watching him shift gears yeah. to a Nirvana song. And you're just like, that's fucking cool. And then yes. <laughs> I don't know when he's gliding. It just seemed kind of funny. Yeah. Um, I did feel like I, Watching this version of Gotham, I did love it, but it also made me want to see uh, the weather app for Gotham to see how much <laughs> yeah. it fucking rains. Oh, it's, it's, it's nighttime. It's like, it's like precipitation. Like, yeah, expect 100% rain as soon as dusk hits. Um, yeah, it's in the, in the second the sun rises, it's beautiful and orange and, yes. and like uh, twilight colored. Yes. In yeah. case somebody yeah. got it, that's why I had the hard rain reference. <laughs> because it just rains so damn much. And I just, I just, I don't know. It just killed me. Um, but it was beautifully shot. And I, I really liked how like this city, but 
the thing that I felt was a different iteration of the character is if you think back to all the other films, you see, you do see Bruce Wayne more, but you see him as going to parties, being a businessman, being someone who keeps up that front of, of party boy or businessman, like, you know, making sure that his company is on the up and up so he can maintain what he's doing. And in this one, he does not care. He doesn't want to go to parties. He doesn't, he doesn't care about the business. He doesn't care if it fails because he has one mission and one goal in mind. He's very disinterested in that aspect of his life. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's to fulfill his purpose of ridding Gotham of evil. And, um, you know, it's two years in. And one thing that I really loved about it was how tactical the suit is. It's not sleek. It's not, I mean, as you say, it's not like a sexy suit. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't form, it it form fits, but it has like things hanging off of it. You know, Mm -hmm. like he has like a fucking fanny pack full of smoke bombs. Who knows? It's a work in progress. It's a work in progress. And that's, and that's what made it so much more real. It's just just like, there's not all these like hidden compartments where shit really wouldn't be. It's like, oh, this is, this is what I have. And this is how I have to carry it. And this is what happens. And I thought that was, uh, I don't know. I thought that was pretty cool way to represent that god that's such a good take it almost made me forget that brock said fucking mask of the phantasms (laughs) (laughs) i remember brock that was a great point it was but it's pretty completely invalid no i'm just joking i'm just joking that's not true no 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 it's not true no i I mean i i think i'm I'm with with you guys i this is such a lived-in world it's so visceral and the the attention to detail on everything from the way it rains to the club, uh, the iceberg lounge felt like a seedy underworld spot. And when they're going down the highway at night, we'll get to the let's chase here in a couple of uh, minutes. But like that whole presentation just felt like it was ripped from like an old movie in the best way possible. Um, I wouldn't say the French connections, uh, noir per se, but like, I definitely felt like Matt Reeves is like, what is the coolest car chase scene I've ever seen? How can I do this at nighttime in the rain with the Batman, right? And how can I make that as cool as possible? Um, so I just, again, think the production design. We look at uh, the Nolan films. It's Chicago, right? I mean, especially the Dark Knight. Like, they literally just, it's just Chicago. And that's not a bad thing. That was what those movies were going for. It's fine. We go to uh, 1989, Tim Burton, Michael Keaton. It feels kind of like a, a set, yeah. Like a play, not in a bad way. I want to make sure it's clear. It feels very theatrical and yeah. the way everything looks and, you know, it just, it, it feels like it's out of some imagined Gothic stage play. You think of like those old world's fair posters yeah. and how everything was so architectural and just Gothic. Like it just, that's just what those look like. They, they took those straight off of those posters. Yeah. What's the movement? Is it German expressionist? Like the, mm-hmm. the cabinet mm-hmm. of Dr. Calgary? Yes. Very, yeah, yeah. very, yeah. Especially yes. Batman Returns, Daniel. It yes. leans even more. Yeah. Than actually, I need to watch it. Yeah. I'll be very excited uh, for you to watch that. So excited. Oh I'm going to have a follow up <laughs> podcast. Um, and then even going to uh, the animated series. And the reason I bring that up is because one of the things that sets that animated series, including Max, the Phantasm, apart from others, is it is very committed to the art deco thing. So, so the last thing I want to say is the one thing I love about this guy. Gotham is much like the animated series. Even though there are smartphones in this movie and there's some modern tech, the way they position it and how it sort of meshes with the rest of the city and the world they built, it's everything's sort of heightened in a way that I feel like this could, it's timeless. Like, like the, the animated series, what's great is like, 
yeah, it's Art Deco, and then they've got modern tech, but then they've got dudes driving cars that look like they're out of the 40s with like old school guns and stuff. Uh, it feels like it could happen at any time, and I feel the same way about Matt Reeves' uh, reality in Gotham is created here. Well, like with the contact lenses, like those aren't completely out of the question. Yeah. Like that's the kind of the highest tech thing that's here, yeah. and that's like I could totally see that you know, being real. Like, so yeah, like mm -hmm. I, I totally agree with what you're saying. On yeah. That. It's Google glass. Basically. Like uh, yeah. it's, Facebook's yeah. got glasses coming out the basement. Yeah. Do that right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess one yeah. note on the tech here, I think we'll talk more specifically about, uh, what sets this Batman apart here in a, in a couple minutes. But what I want to say about that is I do feel like all the technology presented from Batman way more so than the Nolan films feels like something, some guy actually just put together. Like with the resources available to him. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about with Nolan too, with like the Batman that's just super perfect. It's because it's like he gets all the like the most optimal versions well, of the technology he could possibly use immediately. Like it's there. Well, like I love I, I want to make sure it's clear. I think that's a cool take in the way but the explanation they have is kind of lame, which is, oh, we're going to fold all of this into the R&D budget at Wayne Enterprises. Yes. No, surely no one's going to notice it. And they even call it out in the Dark Knight how it's kind of silly. But like it, it just allows you to insert anything for any perfect situation whereas this batman has to get very creative yes yeah. agreed yeah, and like, nolan he had like what the the infinite garage that like underneath there right yeah exactly like, give me a fucking break yeah right. no. no no exactly and so anyway i just think it's cool that the batmobile is like a muscle a giant hyper beefed up muscle car you know the bat the, the kind of the glide is just the yeah, like you guys said, it's the flying squirrel, the batarangs. All they aren't. And you perfectly know, he shaped. spent hours like this is gonna work. This is gonna work. And just, I like to think that Matt Reeves watched F nine and watched the car that went into outer space <laughs> with the big thing on the back, and he's like, "Oh, that'd be a dope Batmobile," <laughs> and just made it black and <laughs> just, just spray painted it black. And called when it a you day. guys are done with that, could I use that for my movie? Right. So, so, so the last thing I want to say about Gotham specifically before we get really in, into the weeds on the Riddler stuff, because I think there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about with the Riddler, but uh, this is probably, in my opinion, the, the richest portrayal of Batman's relationship to the police. We get yes. a, we get a really yes. good, I want to make sure the Dark Knight specifically has a really good sequence in the middle where he's partnering with the police, but you don't see a lot of, outside of with Gordon, you don't see a lot of interactions in Batman with other police. I love this version where he literally just walks onto a crime scene. The other cops are like, are we just going to let him do this? And they're like, well, he's the Batman. What do you like? What are you going to let him do? And then Gordon says, yeah, he's good by me. He's in, you know, and the, the rest of the cops don't know whether they can trust him or not. You know, even though he's there the whole time. Well, and also Gordon's authority is like still questionable at this time. He's still up and coming again. He is not the commissioner yet. Only year two, as Brock said earlier. Like, so it's it's interesting to see that dynamic, that very, you get a lot of that very precarious relationship, which again, I don't see explored particularly well because like with Ben Affleck's Batman, he's so above anything the authorities could possibly do. The police don't matter here. They do matter. Um, and again, I think it's really illustrated really effectively, as you said. Well, even if you go back to the older films, I mean, like the both the Michael Keaton films, I mean, the, his relationship with the police is a non-relationship. Like, it's like, yeah, him and Gordon are buddies, really, but how often is he actually planning, you know, to foil the criminal with the police? And we don't see yeah. that a lot. In this movie, um, my favorite, one of my favorite comedic beats in the whole thing is whenever uh, Batman's in the room and the, the guy's like, Gordon, you got to handle this guy. And Gordon's like, I can persuade him. I'm on. And he's like, he's like, all right, either I need to hit you or you need to hit me <laughs> really hard. <laughs> yeah. Well, you think about it, it's year two and he already, like, 
comparing to the other movies. It's year two, and he's already coming on to crime scenes. And I don't know. So there's just that big difference, too, because in the other ones, he didn't really have that relationship with the police whenever he was like far down the line. And in this one, it's year two. He's already done enough to kind of garner not not so much the respect because he does get kind of thrown some shit from some people, but they know that he has credibility. They know that he helps. So that's, yeah. I don't know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, the, 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 last, the other thing I would say here too is the people who are in the upper echelons of authority at the police do not want him around because yeah. He, yeah. They, it's a risk that they'll get exposed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, which this movie head on takes mm-hmm. that on, which is just, I, I thought was really, really, really impressive. Uh, Laurent, did you make anything of the relationship to the police? Well, yeah, and I also feel like just the, in general with Gotham, the 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 his relationship to the police corruption and just the parallels to today were very interesting, and I don't think all of the wokeness was necessary. In essence, there's there's an instance where, for example, um, Catwoman says, um, you know, it's just a bunch of white privileged men that are kind of like, wow, we're going like. Right. We're going like current times, like we're talking about, you know, these crimes. But and I'm, I'm not saying that that that's not relevant. It's just that that was those little aspects that were too on the nose made me feel a little bit like, OK, we're this is about right now. You know, like they're trying to comment on the space that we're in. But I, I still felt like um, just, again, the parallels between like corrupt politicians, the way our government's run, the way it just it just felt very. You know, I thought that added some um, an interesting social commentary, you know, into this universe that, I mean, hopefully ages well. That's my only thing is like normally when you make it so current 10 years from now, will it will it feel a little dated? Will we be somewhere else or will corruption just always be around? So it'll, it'll always be relevant like racism. Yeah, <laughs> so. no, I mean, I think the movie begs a good question. I think this is a good transition to our next section. We're going to talk a little bit about how satisfying the mystery of the Riddler was. But I mean, like the idea that. You know, Laurent, you opened up with this, the the idea that the system is so corrupt and it's not just a couple of people. It's not just a couple of bad eggs. It is, this goes all, it's the whole system. It goes all the way up. Not saying everyone who participates is corrupt, but the system is built upon corrupt people. They have built up- And protecting those people too. Self-policing those people, you know, so- So is the Riddler a bad guy for taking them down? That's (laughs) what I'm saying. It never felt, I, I, I mean, minus his demented schemes, I'm just like- he makes a good point. He was all, <laughs> we, we, we lift up Robin Hood. So right. what, no, <laughs> right. yeah. We were good. And then and until we found out he was recruiting incels on the internet. And then all of a sudden we're like, okay, maybe. You're so close, bud. <laughs> the, Riddler, the Riddler is literally like the embodiment of cancel culture. <laughs> Just kind yes. of like, you know, it's like, listen, expose him, expose him, expose him. You know, so yeah. Yeah, that's what it feels like. But well, let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, like, the, yeah, so the, like you said, Leron, expose him. So expose the corruption. Mm-hmm. The Riddler's scheme here is to expose Gotham's corruption by holding the, the entire city hostage. I mean, because let's remember, he does, in fact, try to flood the entire city. Um, and he is taking the Batman on in a, in a game of cat and mouse. So I just want to get everyone's thoughts around, you know, how did you think this, how well do you think this mystery unfolded? And did you really find the motivation reveals particularly compelling? LeBron? I found the journey very compelling. I found the impact just a, just a little lacking. Yeah. Um, so I felt like as it's going along, I loved, I love the mechanics of it. I love the, the little, the little reveals along the way. I just think that the culmination of it in the end, because it kind of is all leading to like the final thing is unmasking the Batman. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's kind of his final, the final act of this is like, you're the final part of the puzzle, you know? 
but then when we get to that point, it's like um, they kind of they kind of backpedal a little bit, especially the conversation that you know Bruce Wayne has with um, Alfred. You know, it feels very like, um, yeah, we we led you to believe this whole time that maybe the Waynes were super corrupt, as corrupt as these people. But then, but then he very quickly reminds us, you know, in that moment that no, you're mistaken. They did this for this and this and this reason. You know what I mean? So it just kind of like. I would still argue the movie tries to make you feel like what they did was not as bad as we were initially led to believe. But I still think what they did. You went yeah. to the mob to solve your problems. It's not sure. like yeah. a super flattering look. You right. know, I Basi- mean, like they did it. And it's basically the position he's taking as Batman is just very much like, yeah, I'm not do- going about it maybe the best way. But my intentions were good. Right. <laughs> like So it's mm-hmm. like that's what it kind of feels like. But um and I almost, I almost wish that if they were going to go all that that route, it might have pissed off some fans. Because I mean, again, I haven't read the comic book, so I couldn't say how accurate it would be. But if they, you know, actually did like demonize the the, the Wayne Empire and the Wayne legacy and say, hey, you know, yeah, your your dad was actually not that good of a guy, and then what would what that means for for Batman and how would he reflect on that and how would he use that in his you know missions moving forward, you know, like am I going to change the narrative or move along with it or I'm going to fall in line with it like everyone mm-hmm. else says. So. Yeah, it feels like a kind of disappointingly safe. Yeah. It's like they change. they built, yeah. they built it up like it's going to be it's like we're going to get this like the big thing is that you're going to find out that your your whole thing is all, you know, was all a lie and, and all this and then you find out actually it wasn't that bad. That was the part of the movie that kind of went off the rails for me because it like went a direction mm-hmm. went another direction went back to the direction that yep. You thought it was going, and I'm just like, okay, that's where the 20 minutes for me could have been cut. Because I'm just sure. like, yeah. you're trying to do too many little curveballs to like keep the the mystery going, but well, now it's just getting kind of yeah, yeah. And at the same time, the pivotal and I I actually spoke with Caleb about this not too long ago. The Riddler's point is yes, he he can basically is all but certain, I guess that that Bruce Wayne and Batman are the same person, and he keeps that in his back pocket to always have that like perpetual leverage because for the Riddler, it's about the game. You know, it's I don't feel like he knew Bruce Wayne was. He had doubts. He wasn't able to at least like he didn't feel confident enough to publish it. I wish Hmm. they framed that a little bit better. I wish they kind of dug into that a little bit more. In my mind, he tried to kill Bruce Wayne, but he's using Batman as he's sending him all these clues because he thinks Batman's doing the same thing that he's trying to do. But Batman's the muscle, and so I don't. I don't ever feel like he knew. Hmm. That they were one and the same. I think he came very, very close enough to be able to try and get in Bruce slash Batman's head. I don't think he, that is an interesting take though. I didn't think about it that way, but. Um, Cause he speaks of how he almost got Bruce Wayne, almost got him and he's talking to Batman. Yeah. <clears throat> so I don't, but. Well, but, but then like, he does that very hushed, like Bruce Wayne, like he, he yells Wayne. it at him basically yeah. Yeah. to try and elicit a, an emotional response. And. Um, so, I mean, I, I think he, he does, but he doesn't. Um, and maybe that's how they tried to like demonstrate that, like to, because again, like for, for classically the Riddler knows it's just, he, it's a, it's a lever. I think, so the Riddler's obsessed with like, he's like, he's one of those super criminals that likes to put clues in plain sight. Yeah. You know, he's got a huge ego. He, he really touts that he's smarter than Batman. He likes the game though. Like you said, Daniel, but also I I would say to Brock's point, I really do think the movie does keep it ambiguous as in 
if they showed up in the next movie and we found out definitively one way or the other, I think it could go either way. Yeah. Um, I will say though, I uh, just want to call out the scene that you're referencing where Batman and the Riddler have the scene in Arkham. Probably my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's mm. incredible. Mm. It, like uh, Paul Dano is just swinging for the fences. Yeah. And, I, and I just love how sure he was that Batman was going to side with him. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, like when he short circuits, when it, it goes a different way is incredible. I, yeah. I thought, and then that, and that, and that's the climactic moment where the movie then takes a way less interesting direction. Well, <laughs> oh, sorry. And, and that's just the thing I, I will say just it, it, it's, and that's probably my biggest, <laughs> this is what drags the film down to the, 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 Low B minus I gave it, which is still a good film, by the way. Let's like, I feel like I need to stress that I still liked it, but um, I think, yeah, it's like you set up this, this in, in increasingly severe battle of wits only for it to resolve with like a, like yeah. a, basically a, a, a traditional superhero spectacle. And that's what mm-hmm. disappoints me the most. And I wish we just got that because that's what the Ooh. film was kind of building towards. I understand the need for some action, but like, yeah, the penguin kind of helps us fill that void. Like we don't need the Riddler to assemble, even though it makes sense that he would assemble a bunch of proud boys to try and shoot up a. Like, well, the, the threat, the rally, threat, but. or the inclusion of spectacle isn't what bothers me. It's that the the climax of the movie always hinges on it. So mm, it, yeah. wouldn't it be amazing if I mean I mean I'm not a filmmaker, Leron, you're a filmmaker. Yeah. You can tell me, but occasional I, filmmaker. I, I know it's not. <laughs> I know it can't be. I know it can't be easy. But it would just be so cool if we if we got a. And actually, I would argue, despite it being a little too long, The Dark Knight, 2008, the emotional um, stakes of that movie hinge on not an action scene. And it is when Harvey Dent has, um, you know, the the kids hostage at the end of that. And that's the whole, like the whole soul of the movie is on the line in a very quiet, dark, upsetting sequence yeah i know you just got done with a big set really we were talking about like over overly long set piece but at the end of the day the thing the movie hinges on is a person making very human choices yeah and i just feel like there are very 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 few superhero films that choose to do that they instead do the other thing where they're like they have a choice and then big giant over the top spectacle to solve the problem. Well, and that's what I think. I think it begs that question too, in considering and evoking Bruce Wayne's name. I know again, Bruce Wayne is a minor presence in this film, but I think that's exactly the point in that the Batman, you know, and Bruce Wayne almost can't exist at the same time. Like the Batman, like the, the, like Bruce Wayne has to sacrifice being a person in order to facilitate the Batman. And I think they may have approached that question and they just didn't want to like, yeah. answer it very meaningfully and that's why it's kind of disappointing in that way i think and the mm-hmm. closing like the close his arc too like batman's arc like the closing monologue that we get you know the hopefulness one that the, the, the one aspect of just like i just wish we hadn't gone here like i feel like there was a, a subtler way to do this um yeah. and i really think it already existed in the film yep. um i liked the scene of really see my favorite sequence was whenever um um don't totally agree with the third act action spectacle set piece but there's a moment at the end of it where the city's been flooded and all the people are kind of shrouded and you know they're in the water and and bruce they have that aerial shot where they're all kind of hesitant to to trust even batman 
And then he guides them, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And they all kind of follow behind him as he, I felt like that was like the moment where it's like, we, we can get that moment of change and, and feel that moment. Like he's, he's transitioning into that space yeah. without this monologue explaining that I need to choose hope instead of, cause I got, we got it right there. You know, he's the shadows, but here yeah. he is. He's the light in this moment where What's he's leading them out. Interesting about that is I, and I knew he was going to say hope before he said it, whenever it was that part. That's where it got. And I was like, okay, I know what's going on. <laughs> Whenever that scene was, he had the flair and he was, he was guiding people out. I thought of uh, Superman whenever mm-hmm. then the new Superman with Henry Cavill, where he's this godlike presence and everybody are like around him. And that's what, that's what I thought of. And so that kind of pulled me away from it. So mm-hmm. it's funny how we have those thoughts of you see it a, way and I see it a different way because that kind of is what pulled me out of it a little bit further because I was like this is going back to the Snyder verse kind of mm. kind of on the nose imagery yeah and that's why like in the in the three acts of this movie the the first act is completely Matt Reeves completely original the second act I feel like he tries to get into the Nolan aspect of it and in the third I feel like he goes not Snyder not full Snyder, full Snyder but, but yeah. he goes he goes superhero Yes. mode with it and where everything has to land perfect. Everything has to be the exact science, the exact physics for it to work. And it's just like you had this entire reality and this entire thing that was going with you, like where it was like not perfect because it's the real world. Mm-hmm. And then in this last act, you cut this thing perfectly. You swing perfectly. It's you too land tidy. perfectly. Yeah, it's, it's too, too tidy. tidy at the end. It was messy. And then it's yes. clean. And, at the I, end. and I think yeah. with him guiding them out, that was another one of those like, two perfect things where it was a cool shot. Like the shot sure. was beautiful, sure. yeah. but the meaning behind it was one, another one of those, like that's too perfect. For, and that was for me. So it's, it's, I like that. And I like that you saw it different because sure. everybody, you know, had a different take on it. Well, Brock, here's the one thing I think we can all agree on uh, about the final act is the good news is uh, the Gotham square garden has been destroyed. Oh, so yes, God, <laughs> <laughs> don't have to have that in the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> but like, even with, even with the Riddler, like how I said, he thought him and the Batman were, were working together in his mind. That's He's so sending great. him clues saying, this is where you need to look next. He sent the clues, bring him into the light. And he brought, uh, you know, Falcone, Falcone out. And he brought him to where he was visible outside of his safety net. And that's where Riddler knew to take the shot. And he's like, Batman's helping me. He's mm-hmm. getting these clues and he's knowing what I need from him. And do you do you God, think he that, believes that or do you think that's him manipulating him? I literally think that's, he, that's that his, he believes he that. He believes it, yeah. He, okay. Because he believes that Batman's fighting the same fight he's fighting and that's why he thinks he's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like He thinks he's not a villain. He thinks he's a Much more interesting person. take. And I yeah. think it's compelling and I actually tend to side – I'm actually with you on Brock, Brock on this because uh, – Ron, I know it's a little on the nose with the quote unquote wokeness, but uh, we do live in a time when QAnon believers are real. Yeah. And, and it's like you capital yeah. riots. I mean, you know, like pe- people, yeah. people see what they want to see. They'll something will happen and they'll see, they'll like, be like, see, this is the thing I said would happen. Or this is the thing yeah. I expected to have happen. Even if it's like some wild thing that occurred. Um, like I, Batman's just the more sophisticated version of what I'm doing here. I think he's, he really he's thought that. Yeah, I, I really no. I, I, I really think aspect of the this. scene where they they have that face off. I really think that's when he. I think he believed up until that moment that him and Batman were working together. Mm. Yeah, mm. and uh, that's why he freaks out whenever he's like, "This wasn't this wasn't how it this happened. This wasn't the plan." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I thought we were great friends. Scene. Great scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, 
Well, and I will say to Brock's point too that like that perpetual like dangling carrot too that the Riddler has. It's just a reminder that this Batman is imperfect because as much as he's able to like quickly solve these riddles, he's always mm-hmm. throughout this film like just like five minutes too slow. You yeah. know, maybe yeah. until the finale, yeah. he's just just behind it. And it, and really, even like I think the bigger, well, now I'm not going to quantify whether or not a group of Proud Boys successfully shooting up a political candidate is less dangerous than a city flooding, but like he doesn't prevent the city from flooding ultimately. Like he, he doesn't, uh, he doesn't stop that. It's still, again, it just speaks to that imperfect Batman, which I think is something we, but he's still there. But the thing that's important is he's there to save them. He does get there. Yeah. And he is still going to, yeah. And despite not being able to prevent the crime, which is the point is he's there to at least see it to the end. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But well, I spoke on Matt Reeves having three, you know, acts to this, his Mm -hmm. original version in the middle was kind of Nolan and the end was kind of the superhero. I kind of wish he would have went full Schumacher whenever the city was flooded (laughs) and had a bat jet ski (laughs) that Batman rode around on. But I mean, he no. already had a. He if he had, had a, that, would have been my favorite guy. <laughs> no. no, I'm kidding. But one thing with about shark repellent too. With shark repellent, you see the shark. Obvious. Their dorsal fins slowly just yeah. go away. One thing about the Riddler was his videos where he's his breathing. Yeah, I don't because we're talking about the Riddler. Like Paul Dano, yeah. killed it on Crushed this. It. Like he like legitimately like John Doe in Seven is a scary. Yeah. Figure and he's not he's not imposing, but he's scary as hell. And Paul Dano's kind of the same in this. The outfit helps being posing, but like his mannerisms in his videos and how he talks, it's just like well, when you see him murder that, that guy in the first scene, yeah, it's, exactly. it, it just the way he's like freaking out about it is just skin crawling. Well, yes. his intro, like just when they walk, he's in the shadows. Like you walk past him, it's very eerie, you know. Mm-hmm. And he has this. Um, I mean, kudos to his performance because I mean, like we don't see him until the end of the film, yeah. so. His whole performance is it's 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 you know what I mean it's it he's menacing without us ever seeing his face. Another you know, parallel. So. He works in the shadows. Batman. Like there's just so many parallels between the two. That's just like one's good and he's doing the, damn near the exact same thing that Riddler's doing. Exactly, and it begs the question: when you choose to weaponize fear, yeah. like you, that is a very dangerous game you're playing. Like right. Well, I think this I think this is actually a good transition point. But uh, first, I will just echo Paul Dano kills it. Um, last thing I would say is I really like how he's a cross between Zodiac and Jigsaw from the Saw franchise uh, with the traps and everything, especially the one with the rat cage on the guy. I was like, oh, this is totally a Jigsaw trap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I think the Riddler worked really well. But look, like transitioning into, you know, the idea that this is a fresh take on Batman. I have a genuine question, and I I mentioned this in the spoiler-free section. I think my biggest challenge with this film is that it's not this film's fault, but I feel like it is just increasingly challenging to have a truly groundbreaking – I'm not saying fresh. I'm saying groundbreaking take on the character Batman. Mm -hmm. And we were even talking you know, off mic about – what sets the dark Knight apart? Why do people like lift this up as like a masterpiece, a perfect masterpiece? It's my number one. I don't think it's perfect. I think the thing is it was, we had never seen anyone do anything remotely like that with a comic book adaptation at that time. Yeah. And now we have every version of Batman seemingly imaginable. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got Michael Keaton's Batman. We got Batman, the animated series, which is like a take on a traditional classic Batman. Uh, We've got Ninja Batman in the animated form. We've got murderous Batman and Ben Affleck. Like we've got animated versions of murderous Batman, the dark Knight returns, uh, the animated version, 
there are, in fact, there's a uh, Keanu Reeves is about to voice Batman in the Super Pets movie coming out later yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. Like, like there, we are so oversaturated with superheroes, but I would even say more specifically Batman because he's probably the most famous, if not other than maybe Spider Man, like the most financially successful superhero ever. So we are just getting infinite, seemingly infinite versions of it. So I think my my struggle with this film is even though this might be the best production I've seen of Batman, mm-hmm. and I think just the attention to detail and the performances and the consistency might be the best, but yet when I walk away, I, I feel like it's really good, but I feel like I've seen this before, not like as a whole, but little bits and pieces, even though it's a unique take. I'm like, this is a familiar theme. We've, we've been here. We've done this. So the question I just have for you all is... You know, is there really room for a unique take on Batman or do we just need to settle for, hey, every once in a while, a filmmaker is going to show up with a real a different take. We really hope it's one of the better ones, because I certainly think Matt Reeves is one of the best ones, but it's just another take. Um, does this take away from you at all the quality of this film? Brock, I'll start with you. Yeah, I mean, I kind of disagree with what you were saying, because in this Batman has always been the world's greatest detective. Never in any other film has he been other than this one. So he's really true to form in this movie. So he actually does detective work. He actually, you know, kind of encapsulates what Batman's always been. Another thing, whenever you think about any previous Batman movie, even the original with Keaton, you know, one and two, uh, Nicholson stole the show as Joker. In the second one, I feel like it was pretty equal amongst them. Everybody talked kind of about, you know, Michelle Pfeiffer being Catwoman because of what she represented. With the Nolan films, uh, it was never about Christian Bale. It was always about who was the villain. Even in the even in the Batman Begins, you know, we had, you know, Ogle and then we had Scarecrow, and the people were talking more about Bale gaining weight from the machinist more so than about the actual Batman. Two, it was Joker. Three, it was uh, you know, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy and how his fucking voice sounded. This is the first Batman that we've ever really had where people have been focused on the story. The story. How, how did his and voice sound, by the way? I'm sorry. I, I yeah, we have to we have to sneak it in here. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Why do you shoot the man before throwing him out of a plane? Yes. We'll have audio captions in post. <laughs> people, people already hate us for all the voices we've done on this episode. It's okay. But I mean, this is the first one where it's like, this is about the story, but it's also about Batman, people are talking about Robert Pattinson and how mm. awesome he does in this role and how, you know, physical he is and how brooding he is and how like the fight scenes are. And it's, it's just, it's, it's really good. Like that's why it's a good Batman film because people are focusing on the title character and they never have before. Mm. And not only is he, you know, one of the best Batmans he's, and I say this with the cowl on, he's the best looking Batman. The mm. the cow is perfect. It, they don't have the pointed nose. They have a flat nose that comes to a point in, in his jawline, his amount of scruff. And I know it's so funny saying that, but like whenever you can't see someone's face, you focus on other features. Yeah. And how he looks is like the perfect encapsulation of what Batman should represent and look like. And it just kind of pulls you in that much further to like the mythos and how, you know, you expect Batman to be. So that is why I disagree with you. I 
respect your opinion oh, so much, Caleb, all I, the time. But. I'm just I'm posing the question. Though. <laughs> I'm being genuine. I'm being that was how I felt. I know I I'm I just, not, I know I said that because I feel bad saying I disagree with you. I feel like I was being an <laughs> no, asshole. No, you can you can no no, no it's, it's okay. I mean I did I did already shit all over you for not liking Mask of Phantasm, so it's okay. Appropriately, I will take that to the grave. That will be on my tombstone now. Hated Mask of Phantasm, and my grave will be spray painted and desecrated for the rest of my life. But yeah, that's what that's what I have. Uh, Bell was carried by the villains, and I feel like Pattinson will only enhance them because of how good he is. Right. So that's that's my take on why this was a fresh Batman detective, the damn jawline and scruff, and then of course his acting prowess and how he was actually written. All right, and I'll leave. I think that. that is a very compelling case. Yeah. So, Laurent, I'm going to turn to you. What do you think? So you, we're using the word groundbreaking. Um, will there be another groundbreaking Batman? I don't think so. You know, I don't. I don't think there will be. I think there. But but this is again with us saying this is probably one of the strongest iterations of it. It has this. You know, again, it's interesting social political commentary. You know, we can always. This feels like the most sturdy and most kind of on a technical achievement. You know, one of the best iterations of it. Um, so I think no, we probably won't find another groundbreaking one because I think we have mined this to death. You know, to the point of whatever. It's just a matter of can the character be used in a way, you know, that warrants another, you know, another franchise, another, another, you know, another sequel. And I think that I went into this film knowing, like, I like Matt Reeves, love Matt Reeves, actually. Um, love Robert Pattinson, love Zoe Kravitz, love the cast. So I, I was like, everything here on paper, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy it. Um, I was just surprised, honestly, by how much I enjoyed it because of how all of those elements were working together in this. So I still left it feeling like, you know, I'm not going to put the word masterpiece on it because I feel like you said there's there's so much that this character of this character that's already been examined in effective ways before. I just think it's just another good example of of you know these elements being molded in a way that you know presented in a particular way that that was unique you know from a filmmaking standpoint. Um, I think that the great Batman has already been made. You know so but. yeah. I, th I think that's well said. Daniel, what do you say to that? So, yeah, first of all, I'm going to agree. This stake or this take both is new and I think it it establishes its existence. It definitely deserves to exist. And we haven't seen a Batman that solves mysteries. Wow. What a fucking thought um, to have a Batman that's that that does that. But but here we have it. And again, it only is taken away from that um, in the final act. It starts to feel a lot more like a you know, going through the motions of a traditional superhero film. With that being said, I still think there is a bit of room to explore this character. Um, and yes, I get that Ben Affleck's, um, well, his take on Batman, but more specifically Zack Snyder's interpretation of Batman does draw heavily from the Dark Knight Returns. I do not think it is the Dark Knight Returns. I still think there's room for that story to be told, a very older Batman. I also think you can get around or not necessarily have to add that, oh, also he he happens to um, kill people. I think you can incorporate that in, but I still think it's is a very important argument to be made whether or not that's that's appropriate for Batman and, and to allow him to wrestle with that in a feature-length film. I, I think there's still meat on those. But, and I mean, I can look at something like Logan. Um, I think given that film, you know, and, and what they were able to do with Wolverine, I think, you know, there, there's definitely something there um, with Batman, not that I wanted to imitate or emulate Logan, but 
I still think there's a, there's plenty of room for an older Batman who is <laughs> despite at that point being Batman for maybe 20 plus years, uncertain if the Batman experiment is a valid one. Um, at the same time, I, I don't mean to, to tread on this path. A lot of people always mention how much they want to see like a, a Batman beyond film. Yeah. You took the words out of my mouth. Cause that's like, that's you said you were talking about dark Knight returns and I would be way more compelled by a Batman beyond. I, I do. I don't necessarily give a sh- like, <laughs> <laughs> just say it, Daniel, just say it. My bad. I don't necessarily give a shit about Batman in the future. What I care about is Bruce Wayne's body unable to be the Batman and him having right. to assume the mentor role. I think that's the more important right. you know, narrative takeaway from that. So you know, it can take place in the future, whatever. Batman twenty forty nine, sure. But like I yeah, I think that's somewhere is the 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 idea that again, yeah, Bruce Wayne cannot simply he simply is incapable of being the Batman anymore and now, oh, I have to teach somebody else because yeah while we get that idea with no at the end the conclusion of nolan's trilogy that presumably um robin is going to become the new batman or nightwing or whatever you know he's going to be it's still you know it doesn't force bruce wayne to be like oh wait i can't it because that's the thing about batman yes he is a symbol that can in, in some ways and I think Nolan's trilogy gets on this, that he's a symbol that can be transferred or a moniker that can be transferred to somebody else. Yes. I don't like the idea that Bruce Wayne can just be like, yep, not my problem anymore. Bye. I'm going to go retire to Europe or Italy or wherever he's at at the end of the film. I like the idea that he has to actually, he is responsible for the Batman. So now he has to make sure that it lives on beyond himself. If it truly is some immortal symbol. And I think something like Batman beyond or an adaptation to that effect, um, you know, I, I it could definitely get into some interesting territory. So no, I would say, while it might be very hard to do something new with Batman, it's very possible, um, and I'm excited to see what happens next. Something new with Batman because you said him taking on like a mentor role or getting older. Mm-hmm. One thing I've been talking about with like a few people is, it seems like all of these are like three films done. They make a ton of money. The studio's like, we can't let this go. Let's redo it. Yeah. So if Pattinson's on for three, let's say, why can't they just write a blank check and say, be our Harrison Ford and let's make this an Indiana Jones thing. Let's like, let's grow up with you and see where this goes. Like I'm tired of getting new Batman every six years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I think it would be really cool because you have two individuals who are very talented in Matt Reeves and then Robert Pattinson, who people are really gravitating towards. So like a fresh take on this would be lock him up. Don't do the three films and then get somebody new in four more years because you guys want to cash grab and you guys know that it's going to make money. Like push this through and like do something cool with it. That's never been done before. And let's make like an actual anthology of films like they did for any Indiana Jones. Like as he like grew up, I don't know. I know that's a super big stretch, but that could be something new and something that you're kind of speaking up to them. Yeah. And it's an interesting question because yeah, whether or not it's realistic, you know, at this point, it doesn't matter Probably because not, I think, it, yeah. well, because it better begs an interesting question because I'm saying like, yeah, it's in that Bruce Wayne cannot conveniently let go of the Batman. It almost seems like we as a society have trouble letting go of the Batman or allowing him to be something else or allowing it to shift into what it could be. So I, I, I have, okay. So I have, I've got a few different things to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll try to keep it really short though. <laughs> I was just thinking what? in seven years when Jacob, when Jacob Tremblay is the new Batman, I'm going to just, so, Sorry, go ahead, Kate. So, so, so one, something I have not said on this podcast at all, and, and Brock, this is going to seem counter to what you're saying, but just, just hang tight with me. That's fine. I disagreed with you. You can disagree with me. 
I actually think DC should give up on the long-term universe. Yeah. Just give up. You messed it up. Honestly, I'm not going to speak ill of the MCU. I think what they did was unprecedented, incredible, and obviously wildly financially successful. I'm always there at the earliest screening imaginable to see every movie I want to see. Uh, Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness, you better believe your ass. I'm going to be at the Thursday night screen to watch a new Sam Raimi movie. So I want to be clear. But what I also am saying is that I'm very fatigued with that universe, one, and they're having to get increasingly creative to really keep me engaged in the way that I used to be, one, and two, just the the continuity baggage that now comes along with any time you want to introduce something new, like, is is really stacking up. Like, I mean, and it's not even just with individual characters, it's... Oh well, we our movies all have to look with like with they're, they're they're in the same universe. There's a certain brand standard we have to apply across the MCU. Yeah, and I'm I'm not saying that is a bad approach. I want to make this very explicitly clear. Obviously, it has worked. We wouldn't have gotten Avengers Endgame, which I think was a blockbuster spectacle like that only comes around once or twice in a lifetime. You know, so I'm just throwing it out there. What I am saying though is DC missed the boat. Yeah. It's over. I feel like the weaknesses of the MCU are starting to show a lot more than the strengths. And for DC to attempt to do that sort of thing just seems like that ship has sailed, which is why I found this take, while familiar, to be a breath of fresh air in comparison to all of the other superhero movies we have. So so, so I just want to throw that out there. I really think DC should just double down on making really good standalone movies. Um, all that said... I still think the idea of bringing a Michael Keaton or maybe in 10 years a Christian Bale into a Batman Beyond using the audience's knowledge of the performers and the character and a crossover is cool. I just don't think it needs to be marred with like a huge interconnected universe where people try to like 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 if Michael Keaton just showed up in Batman Beyond, I I honestly could care less how it connected to the original film of 1989. I just think it's really cool that you have an iconic actor like Michael Keaton, who represented that for an entire generation, the eighties and nineties, who's coming back to play like a mentor figure. It's a really long way of saying, I really want DC to just double down on standalone. And if, and if, if the opportunity comes along where they can mix and mash match cool, but like, I wouldn't get so focused on that because I think at this point it's going to be a better movie if they don't do that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's when I was, talking about earlier about the runtime, the, the 10 odd minutes that I exclude from it, justifying its length is basically the scene where it tries to establish that like, Oh, this is going to be a part of a larger canon. Don't worry. The Joker's here to, you know, and and maybe the Riddler will turn too. that. That just feels like a weakness of the film. And like, you don't need that to establish a sequel. The sequel will happen inevitably, whether or not you have that. So why even bother? Like, yeah, just shoehorning that into your film. Like well, who, like, sorry, yeah. no, I wasn't trying to cut you off. No, go ahead. Like just piggybacking off that. One thing I found fresh was them pulling in the Falcones and the Moonies, which mm-hmm. is kind of mm-hmm. more off of like the Gotham TV show and probably, right. you know, from the comics and stuff, which wasn't really any other things like that was, you know, although they went too far into it and kind of dwelled on it and kind of did weird things with it. I, I enjoyed that they brought that into the fold. They made it meaningful because watching the yeah. dark Knight very recently is like the only time the Falcones are mentioned and they are is like kind of at the start of the film where like 
The, well, it's the uh, all the mob wars happen off screen. So the Falcon, yeah. so the Falcones are the ones who rule the town, and Batman begins. But then there's a power vacuum that gets created when Falcone's taken out, which is when the Joker shows up and causes crit chaos. And actually, there's actually a straight to animated uh, home video, uh, Gotham Knight, I think is what it's called, or Gotham Knights, one of the two um, that came out. It was an anime anthology series okay. that details all the mob wars that happen in between Batman Begins and Dark Knight. This mm-hmm. is a tangent, but I just want to throw that out there because it's actually <laughs> really cool. Hey, we're dropping knowledge for people who are listening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but no, okay, so, so Daniel, I think you bring that up. That's actually a great segue to our final topic, and I think we should keep this one relatively short, but what's to come? Because there are two things that happen in the final act that I referenced earlier that you're alluding to here that I just feel like whiff of a studio executive saying, all right, we got to have a big set piece and we got to tease the next movie with none other than our other billion dollar character, the Joker, you know, and I, and it's Barry Keegan who uh, I really like. Mm. He's an inspired casting choice, Yeah, but you know what would have been cooler is if they just put him in the next movie or they, they built a movie around him and he showed up. He like, showed up. That's, of, yeah. Like, and even knowing they did tease it a little bit with the car, but we didn't have to worry about this hugely inserted scene where it's like, oh, uh, they're going to laugh at you and da da da. Yeah. It just, it it brings the movie to a halt and says, yeah, we know a sequel's coming. Right. And, yeah. and also, this is my take. I don't really want another Joker for a while, guys. Yeah. And yeah. It, not that I don't love him, but Heath yeah. Ledger was iconic. Joaquin Phoenix did something experimental that just... It was terrific, and I'm sure we're going to get follow-ups to that movie at some point. But, like, Batman has the best rogues gallery mm. of any superhero. We got, I mean, come on, give me a Mr. Freeze movie. This movie, like, the did uh, the Riddler and Incredible. Like, there's just so many possibilities, and you keep going back to the same guy that's already also been, Laurent, to your point, mined heavily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, that's the thing is the if you know the Batman you know who the fucking Joker is. So you don't need to allude to him in the film that he's not any kind of focus to like, exactly. it'll, it'll be, he'll, he will naturally be socketed. It felt very pigeonholed. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You can, you can fit the, I promise you'll be able to fit the Joker into a Batman story. I'd, <laughs> like he, he'll come up. Like you don't, it almost felt like Matt us. Reeves was like taken out at that point. And they like told him, exactly. Hey, Hey Matt, why don't you, why don't we do something with the have Joker? You, have you thought about a sequel? Yeah, like maybe you should do this, and he's like, oh, the "Fuck, I guess." Well, so, yeah, well, <laughs> Caleb was saying earlier, like executive oversight. That is yeah, what that yeah, yeah. whole final act just feels like to me. Yeah, it's just it, like it. it uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to say it any any more eloquently, but it really just feels like an executive watched an early cut of the movie, and they're like, "We, we need to see," and that's what it feels. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying it feels divorced from the world we've already seen. Yep. Even, yeah, even knowing that, I mean, yeah, like this this universe could exist with another Joker. I I agree with you. I preferred to see other villains but um but yeah that sequence just feels almost like an afterthought and and at, given the placement of it at the end it does just feel just pandering to to that it, space it also weirdly makes the riddler seem weak-minded which is weird because that's literally the antithesis of the character that he's able to just like laugh with this joker who talks him into like thinking he's i don't know it's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. a weird scene yeah um okay so let's remove the the joker teaser that we all I think it sounds like we all agree that we really don't like. Yeah. What do you guys want to see in the next one? Brock, I'll start with you. Okay. So the only way to make the Joker teaser palatable is to do a full on Arkham Asylum movie where we don't have the Joker out and about and setting up this world. We have 
a lot of known villains already in the asylum. Something happens like Prison Break or something happens because the games were popular. We've never had an Arkham Asylum movie, and I know that that's probably a lot of really on the nose and what people want to see. So I feel like it could be a cool trajectory. Um, I think bringing in a new villain, like main villain, Hugo strange. So there was things with him, like with Arkham Asylum and how he did experiments there with prisoners and like kind of turn him into monsters. So I think that would be like a cool, like to make it like just almost go the same Raimi route that he went with, you know, the multiverse of madness and just go like full on, like all these villains in one central location Batman somehow has to go in, save somebody, save, you know, save Gotham from these people rising up. Maybe the Joker and Hugo are the main people like kind of pulling the strings. I don't know. I just like bringing in a new villain. And also, um, it's already been alluded to, and it's maybe going to happen. The court of owls, um, which is, you know, Gotham elite people kind of pulling strings. But I think we can also bring in Hugo strange in that as a new villain that almost kind of like, fighting against them almost like the same way with the Riddler that Batman would be. So like he feels, I don't know, there could be like that weird parallel between the two, but not, not so much as in this one, but I know that he kind of was against like Gotham elite Hugo strange. So like bringing yes. in the court of owls, you can like bring in like another, like kind of multi villains. And it's important to note that Hugo strange without getting the details, but what he's iconically known for is knowing Batman's identity. Yes. Mm. It is like his, mm. his thing is he's a guy who's mind reader. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. He had the machine that was a mind reader. Um, and firstly, I just reiterate, the games are very good. The story and the writing in them is very, very good. You should go play Arkham Asylum and Arkham City. Um, but yeah, I, I actually think that would be good because you know what we haven't actually seen? Batman do shit in Arkham. So, yeah. you know, <laughs> exactly. which is an iconic location from mm -hmm. the comics. So actually, that you know, Brock, that's a really good point. Uh, Laurent, what do, you, what do you want to see in a sequel? I want to see more of the first third of the Batman. <laughs> I'm assuming Matt Reeves is signed on for you know, the next films, um, less Nolan and, and none of Schneider. <laughs> so <laughs> get that um, Schneiderverse out of here. Just get that Schneiderverse out of here. Exactly. Um, I would love to see another detective story, you know, just, uh, you know, you know, shift the focus onto a different, a different aspect. Cause I, I really love that a lot, quite a bit. So, um, I could, I could go along with that, that to ranks. I think that's what invested me more in this, in this one. And I think that, um, when I think about it, like going into it, when I wanted, I, I went into this movie again with a little bit of apprehension, kind of a little fatigue, like, do we really need this? But all the, all the pieces are on the paper that I have to go and see it. Um, and then again, like I said, I left it, um, most surprising aspect I did when I left the film was that I wanted to see more. And I was surprised that that was something that I would say going into this one saying, did we even need this? You know, so that, I think that's the biggest takeaway, I think, from it is that there was enough that was working here that made a case for more stories to be told in the event that they stick to a certain, you know, aspect of it and don't, you know what I mean, like not stick the landing in the end and, and stoop to, you know, again, the overproduced, you know, oversight where we have to make a movie that that fits the mold of what you've seen before. Cause so much about this, the thrilling aspect of it was that they were doing something different and then they decided, but we got to end it in a way that, you know, that appeals to our oversights, you know? So, mm -hmm. you know, I think an executive, so what you're saying is you don't want an executive who says, yeah, black widow movie. I want, right. I want more of that. In my Batman. Right. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> 
All right. Uh, Daniel Bokemper, what would you like to see in the next Batman movie? Yeah, I um, wasn't even thinking about it, but but Brock's notion of actually focusing on Arkham as an institution I think is very important and I think is actually a way to – yes, I do want to see new villains, but at the same time, if you need to incorporate some classics, I think putting them in the Arkham frame uh, it changes the thing, the game quite a bit. Um, at the same time, I will also recommend late stage recommendation, um, a serious house on serious earth, a very short graphic novel, but one of the craziest interpretations of Arkham Asylum I've ever seen. And as far as the, the art direction in that graphic novel, it's, it's great. And maybe something that could be emulated in a potential Arkham film. I do think that while Robin um, slash Nightwing, but mostly Robin has appeared. Robin first, then Nightwing. Then Nightwing, yeah. yeah. Has appeared in films before. I think there might be the potential to actually create a better Robin origin story, perhaps through the vehicle of this oh. Batman we have now. Um, and I and I think one that's actually kind of like properly developed and maybe again begs some questions about vigilantism that we haven't seen with these Batman films. So I think maybe a, a deeper exploration of Robin. I also do love Under the Red Hood as an animated film. I don't know if we that's something that can actually be explored within this particular potential Batman franchise, but uh, maybe picking up on notes from it might might help. Um, I just envision this idea of a Robin who starts like. <laughs> following Batman, but doesn't really get the danger almost a la like Nightcrawler hmm. or something, um, which is a film. This actually made me want to revisit. Um, I don't know. I think, I think there's something that, that that's there to be had with, uh, with Batman's sidekick. In addition to some of the things I mentioned earlier about the, the grizzled veteran Batman, hmm. um, who's forced to, to train the next generation. But, but yeah, there's, there's definitely some directions this can take and I'm excited. I'll be there for it at this point. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, I uh, I won't belabor the point, but uh, I will say the one area that I think the movies have not really explored in any meaningful way is the Bat Family aspect. They have attempted to with the uh, Schumacher films and done such a poor job at it that basically every version of Batman that's come after has said, let's avoid that because it's too hard or too difficult or less interesting. So, Daniel, just to say to your point, whether it's Batman Beyond or whether it's the Bat Family, meaning Batman coaching up Robin, Nightwing, or Batgirl, mm-hmm. we, I do think that is something we haven't seen. Yeah. I don't know if I want that in the sequel, though. I'm just going to stick to my Mr. Freeze. I think I think Mr. Freeze is a character <laughs> that deserves justice. I enjoy what Arnold Schwarzenegger did with it. It's silly. It's ridiculous. It's funny. But, like, that character is one uh, the version that was actually forged out of the animated series. A character existed before the animated series came in and redid his entire backstory to be this really tragic, melancholy character who, uh, uh, ultra risk, uh, ultra rich businessman murdered his wife in cold blood. And this guy seek vengeance seems like it might fit with kind of the themes of this movie. So, you know, um, just a thought, uh, and I think the the Gotham they have established way more than no one's lends itself to that sort of character being believable in this world oh, that he's built already. Can you imagine like a melancholic like Rami Malek or something like someone like that <laughs> portraying Mister Freeze? Like Rami Malek? I I think it would work. I don't want to see a muscle like what? Okay, first of all, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Like what? No, but Rami Malek. I mean, I mean, he was okay. Well, you know, Dale, we're gonna have to talk about more about this. Who would be a good Mister Freeze? That's a good question. I think he would. Okay, well, I like Rami Malek. 
Yeah. Maybe it's just because the last thing I saw him was No Time to Die, and he was not the best Bond villain, uh-huh. but, you know. Um, okay, guys, we have talked for so long about the Batman. <laughs> uh, not quite the length of the film, but getting pretty close. So I'm just going to give everyone a chance to weigh in if they have anything to say. Does anyone have anything else they would like to add? Get off their chest. Now is the time. Anything else you'd like to say about the Batman before we wrap up today's show? I would say go see it, but it made a hundred and what thirty million dollars yes. at the box office. Yeah. So I mean, I think everyone did. <laughs> it's going to be on HBO Max in forty five forty five days, days so. in April. Yeah, yeah. so not to discourage. Go see it on the big screen because it is a capital. It is a very big screen movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But also, I'm kind of pretty pumped that I'll be able to watch it. Huh? I that's yeah. when I'm going to be rare watching it. Yeah, same. I would say look at the cards that the Riddler sends uh, in each. There's five different versions, and each one is a possible clue to future villains. Oh, uh, that's fine. I can run through it if you want me to. Do you have them already? I do. This is not me. This is something I found today while trying to prepare notes, but I found it super interesting, so I went ahead and wrote it down just in case everybody wants to hear it. Do it. First card, Owls. Of course, Court of Owls. Second card, Mad Scientist. Hugo Strange. Third card, Woman in Green. Poison Ivy. Poison Ivy. Fourth card, looks like it's all black with just eyes. Looks like a Cheshire cat, which Mm. could be the Mad Hatter. And then the fifth card is a puppet, which would then be the ventriloquist Scarface. And then the sixth card... it's a de- it's a calendar. Insane, yeah, it's a calendar. Yes. <laughs> so boy. I came upon that and thought that was very interesting that every card mm. basically had a connection to completely a missed that. That's no, I that's really wow. that's compelling. Also, I'm just gonna stop and say the ventriloquist is a very fucked up villain, and uh, he would be pretty terrifying if they chose to do that mm. character. Yeah, and this is the universe to deliver that. Yes, for sure. Yes. Did you did you have you guys gone to Rat Alalata or Alada yet? No, rot rata alada.com. It's action. It's, it's an actual website. It's a real website. Oh, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. And if you go through it, there is Riddler code at the end. Marcus, uh, shout out Marcus Eakers, uh, who me and Bo Kemper work with, yes. told me about it today. And we got to the end screen and it had the Riddler codes. And so I was like, I have no clue how to decipher this shit because I am not Alfred. <laughs> so I just. <laughs> Googled, hey, what's this shit deciphered? And somebody had already done it. And uh, when translated using the key, the message reads, you think I'm finished, but perhaps you don't know the full truth. Every ending is a new beginning. Something is coming. Okay. So Matt Reeves is basically professing that we're getting a sequel. So yes. I'm, that's all I had. I thought those were two pretty cool things that I saw today. I Way to stick the landing. Yeah. I'm just saying. I have no credit. That's I just a great way to put it, it offline. So. Brock, I appreciate you sharing with me because it gets me more hyped for the sequel. Yes. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you are still listening, thank you so much for tuning into this very <laughs> lengthy discussion. <laughs> thank you for tuning in this very lengthy discussion of the Batman. Um, it's been a real pleasure uh, speaking with each of you guys. It's always fun talking movies with you. So we'll go around the table and give you a chance to weigh in on where people can keep up with you and your work online. If they want to get more of your movie opinions on all the things coming out. Um, so actually we'll go around the table directly to my left. Brock Lay, where can people find you online? You can find me on Instagram and uh, Twitter at Brockness underscore monster. All right. Check it out, especially on Instagram. Brock's got some cool stuff. Uh, Laron Chapman, where can people follow you and online? You can follow my name at Laron Chapman on um, Facebook. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Cinna underscore man. Or you can follow me on Instagram at Black Movie Magic OKC. 
Awesome. And Daniel Bokemper, bring us home here. Where can people follow you and your work online? You can find me in the shadows <laughs> where you least expect me. <laughs> no, you can find me uh, at Twitter at uh, Daniel underscore uh, Bo Camper. Just spell it the best you can. You'll get there. And then uh, at World Literature Today, periodically reviewing books, but also, of course, the Cinematropolis, uh, where I recently wrote an essay on uh, a uh, – <laughs> What did I write that essay on? Oh, yeah, that's right. Charlie Kaufman films, uh, three films he at least wrote, two of which he directed, uh, just in time for Valentine's Day, everyone's uh, favorite holiday invented <laughs> by greeting card companies to make uh, people feel bad. And uh, also keep an eye out for a Batman essay about the identity crisis that is the Batman um, soon. Perhaps as soon as you hear this episode, podcast. you should go to the cinematropolis.com right now and read the essay. Exactly. Well, yes. yes. Thank you, kid. Weird how that works. Uh, it's, it's synergy. I appreciate you, Daniel Bokemper, and everything you do for the Cinematropolis. Thank you, sir. Thank you. It's a, it is a honor. And uh, of course, uh, you can follow me tweeting about all the things, uh, mostly movies, sometimes video games and TV uh, at C Masters Talk. That's letter C Masters Talk. And you can follow everything we do at the Cinematropolis at thecinematropolis.com or by following us on social media um, and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the Cinematropolis or on Twitter at the Cinematrop. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Keep your eyes peeled later this month when LaRon and I make our annual Oscar predictions. That's right. The big show, the Super Bowl for movie fans coming at you here in a couple weeks. And Lauren and I, oh gosh, I think Lauren, this might be the fourth or fifth year we're bringing yeah. Oscar predictions yeah, to nice. the, the listeners. So I'm well um, equipped for this conversation. I am ready. And you know what? I'm pretty pumped. It's not every year that I get pumped about Oscars predictions, but I'm pretty pumped this year. I think it'll be good. I think it's gonna be a good show. Yeah. Until then, listeners, we'll catch you again next time. <laughs>